from July 1988 with your number one song, Steve Winwood. Roll with it. But we're going to roll right into WrestleFest here as we jump into a straight-ahead Cronoso. No potpourri episode today, just a lot of WrestleFest. But these guys and girls are going to be a lot more entertaining than this actual WrestleFest show. So buckle up and here we go. Rock with it, Mike Eller, with the landscape for Milwaukee, 1988. Hey, North-South Connection, it's Mike Eller here. Um, I am about to give you the landscape and arena history of our location for WrestleFest 1988, which I believe is the only WrestleFest in WWF history. But uh, this is a really cool show, and I'm really kind of excited to go over all the historical facts about this and just like the overall breakdown of what's going on in the company. So... We're in the summer of 1988. The show takes place on July 31st of the year. And here's a rundown of the champions. The WWF champion is the Macho Man Randy Savage. The Intercontinental champion is the Honky Tonk Man. Our WWF tag team champions, here comes the Axe, here comes the Smash. We still have Demolition in that role. And our WWF Women's Champion is still Sensational Sherry. So, nothing changed there about the champions from our last episode. What's re- I guess what's really cool about this show is it's taking place at a baseball stadium. We are in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, at the Milwaukee County Stadium. No sponsors yet. Still in the you know late 80s. We're not getting those. And here's some... Here's some facts about it. It opened in April 1953, uh, rain time for the Milwaukee Braves, who had just moved from Boston. Um, It closed in September 2000. The baseball team at the time playing there were the Milwaukee Brewers. They go over to Miller Park and whatever it's called now. And then it like uh, kind of like basically like all these stadiums we go over. Uh, after a year or two after it's demolished, and this one a year later demolished in 2001. The main tenants that played at the Milwaukee County Stadium, like I had mentioned first, the Milwaukee Braves, they actually were huge in the city once they first moved there. They had great teams. By their fifth year, they won the World Series in 57. They go back in 58 in a rematch versus the Yankees, which they lose. But Milwaukee loved their baseball in the 1950s, and but by the early 60s, things just changed. Attendance started to drop. Ownership was a mess. They end up sell. They end up moving to Atlanta. So, you know, a pretty awesome beginning of their career for the Milwaukee Braves. But you know, they're only there 13 seasons, which is pretty insane. Something I didn't know is. From 1953 to 1994, so over 40 years, the Green Bay Packers played two to four home games a year at the at the County Stadium, which that kind of blows my mind. Like, you know, we have the historic Lambeau Field. You figure they're playing all their games there. It's such a huge thing. I know Green Bay and Milwaukee aren't that far apart, but you just think they play all their games at Lambeau. I did. I had again that was news to me. Again, it ended almost 30 years ago, but uh, pretty cool. And then some other tenants who played there, The actually right before the Seattle Pilots moved to Milwaukee in 1970, Bud Selig wanted to 
like host or just show off Milwaukee. So the Chicago White Sox headed to Milwaukee. And again, this was news to me. They played nine home games in Milwaukee in 1968. And they did 11 in 1969. Apparently that was enough uh, once the new floundering Seattle Pilots moved because then the Milwaukee Brewers they played there from 1970 to 2000 before, like I said, the stadium closed. Fun fact, too, uh, not, you know, my hometown, Cleveland at the time, Indians, now Guardians, uh, had a pretty famous movie about them called Major League. It was not filmed at the dump that was Cleveland Municipal Stadium. It was actually probably because it was so horrible. It was filmed at Milwaukee County Stadium. So all the great scenes of Jake Taylor, Ricky Wilding, Vaughn, Willie Mays Hayes, um, Roger Dorn, they're all filmed at Milwaukee County Stadium where, again, this show is taking place uh, tonight that we're, that our awesome team is going to go over. So, you know, like I said, it's just, I always go over, like, the last time they were at the stadium, uh, the last major show they had at this stadium. But, you know, this is a new concept. It's a baseball stadium. So the last time that we were at Milwaukee County Stadium for the WWF was... Never. But let's give you something at least. Uh, the last time we were at least in Milwaukee took place at the basketball arena, the Mecca. Um, last time was uh, May 1st, 1988. How show a couple big matches there. Andre the Giant defeated Hacksaw Jim Duggan by countout. And the Honky Tonk Man retained his Intercontinental Championship. He beat Brutus Beefcake by count on. I'm sure that was just wonderful. Uh, last, again, last major show, never. The last time, like a bigger show was in Milwaukee, was Superstars of Wrestling from Halloween of 1987. A notable thing there, uh, Bam Bam Bigelow won a 10-man main event. So he, you know, get him a big push as he heads into the, the big Hulk Hogan team in the Survivor Series 1987, which we covered uh, a little bit ago. Tonight's attendance, 25,866. Just for a fun fact, I looked at the Brewers' attendance in 1988. They were a pretty good team. They went 87-55. They averaged uh, a little bit over 23,000, so a little bit higher than what they would be getting for a baseball game, but not dramatically different. Our announcers for the night are Lord Alfred Hayes and superstar Billy Graham. That's an interesting combination. Uh, yeah, you'll hear from the rest of our hosts. Maybe they'll they'll give you some notes on Lord Alfred Hayes and superstar Billy Graham during the show. But that's all I have for you today. Was excited to go over this. Excited to, for you to be part of this show that we're going to be breaking down for you. We're off to our first match. Talk to you guys soon. Hey now, Steve Bennett here from 3x5 with Steve Bennett, the Sportscasters podcast and the 24-inch podcast. It's Cronoso. Let's get inside the ring. The first match of the night, the big boss man defeats Scott Casey at 415 in a match that was just a little bit more than a superstar squash. Uh, It kind of has this feel to it like when you go to an outdoor concert and the opening act comes out and it's still really light out. And people are still kind of walking around. And uh, the crowd isn't quite full yet. And there's not much energy 
to speak of. And it's kind of going to be up to the band to see if they can win what portion of the crowd is there over and create some energy. Uh, these guys do not. Um, Scott Casey is just so generic. I think if there's pictures in the dictionary and you look up generic, this guy in his dumb head and stupid mullet haircut and bad at ring attire would be one of the photos used to describe generic. He absolutely stinks. Um, he gets a little bit more respect than a jobber, but he's a jobber. Uh, and he gets basically squashed here by Bossman. He gets a few licks in here and there. Uh, but Bossman, in the end, puts him in the side suplex, squashes him down, gets the one, two, three, beats him with the nightstick, and then leaves the uh, leaves the the uh, handcuffs on top of him as he walks out to a smattering of booze. Interestingly, when the guys were announced, they announced Scott Casey, and everyone kind of went boo, and then they went big Bossman. And everyone went, boo. And at the end, when Big Boss Man won, everyone said, boo. So kind of a slow start here uh, to WrestleFest 88. Not the best thing. I will say this. The Atlanta Braves uh, built a baseball stadium in Cobb County, Georgia. And I remember when the stadium was about to open, there was some reservations about why the Braves would put a stadium there. You know, many people were concerned with uh, the parking and that people would have to cross over the highway to get to the stadium, and it could be dangerous. And another thing was people were just really worried about a big event like a baseball, a Major League Baseball game being held in Cobb County, Georgia. You know, they just knew that if people didn't respect the law and order, they didn't follow the signs, that they'd be, they'd be facing hard time. And um, I think the good news is the stadium's been open for a few years. Uh, the battery's built up. It's one of the great places to play. Uh, Major League Baseball and to watch Major League Baseball. And as far as I know, uh, the big boss man has done nothing but keep it safe and hasn't really harassed uh, the average baseball goer. So good news out of Atlanta, bad news out of Milwaukee here. Uh, this match kind of stinks, but it does what it's supposed to do, right? It's four minutes of uh, the boss man coming in, establishing himself, squashing this bum and getting the winner's money and going to have a nice steak dinner at the hotel before he's on to the next uh to the next town speaking of on to the next town that's it for me until much later uh let's pass it off to one of my colleagues here and find out what else is going on at wrestlefest 88 north south connection it is me steve riddle back again for another go around here as i am going to be talking about the second match in the absolute marathon run <laughs> uh that is of course wrestlefest 88 from july 30th uh 31st 1988 of course from the uh, milwaukee county stadium um the match of course i am talking about for this episode is going to be Brutus the Barber Beefcake taking on Hercules. Uh, fun fact, if you uh, remember, I, of course, uh, did a full review of this episode of the show uh, with Scott and JT over on the Place to Be podcast, which was back at episode 498. So a little bit back in the archives. So, um, so, but yeah, sure, you can um, go ahead to um, kind of dig it out here a little bit, here, you know, if you want to go back and listen to that. But, um, but, of course, like I said, we are going to be talking Brutus the Beefcake versus Hercules. Of course, Beefcake about a month away from his big intercontinental title match against the Hockey Talk Man. Of course, rematch from WrestleMania 4. And um, Hercules at this point was kind of floating around a little bit. Um, still, obviously, a member of the Heenan family. Um, but he was pretty much uh, pretty much down at the... Uh, 
at the lower end here um, of the Heaney family, of course. Uh, and we are actually, um, I'm actually for the first time in doing this, I'm actually live watching the uh, the match here. So we got Hercules here in the ring, looking. Uh, he's looking ripped. I mean, he's he's not as um, not as big as he would eventually be. Um, you know, but he's still looking good here. Here comes uh, here comes the barber who gets a, a pretty good pop, and uh, you know this is a pretty um, decent sized crowd here. Even though obviously it's not uh, you know fully booked, I think they said it was like twenty twenty five thousand in attendance. Yeah, close to twenty six thousand. So pretty good, a uh, pretty good crowd here. Um, and I will actually also mention too the um, the version of this match that I'm watching is actually from the August fifteenth edition of Prime Time um, because it's most um, most. Um, probably know this um, the show itself even though it was released on uh, on videotape uh, it was not the whole show it was only a selection of matches um, that were featured um, that were featured on the tape and uh, this was not one of them so um, like I said thankfully we do have the uh, this was on prime time here so we were able to uh, to to get it here so obviously we have I believe this is um I believe it's um Mooney and uh superstar Billy Graham on the call here um as uh as we got again the match bat ready to start here beefcake um like I said he is uh priming for his big uh intercontinental title match at SummerSlam against the hockey talk man he of course said Face hockey back at WrestleMania that ended in a uh, bit of a sh in a schmaz. So Beefcake now getting a uh, getting another opportunity at SummerSlam. Meanwhile, Hercules, I believe his match with Jake Roberts had either if it hasn't been announced yet, it's probably going to be announced here soon. Um, which on which of course on paper you wonder why Hercules would even face why uh, Jake would even face Hercules at SummerSlam, knowing that. Uh, He's currently in the midst of this uh, red hot feud with uh, Rick Root, even though they are, of course, slated to face off later in the show. Um, of course, a couple of other big matches on the show that we got coming up. Of course, the uh, the main event of SummerSlam split into uh, two matches here as uh, Hercules is showing off his uh, showing off his muscles to Beefcake, who who looks completely unimpressed. As he gives him the old, uh, you know, you can kiss my ass sort of thing. Uh, but, of course, like I said, um, the main event of SummerSlam split in half. Of course, we will see Randy Savage defend the WWF title against Ted DiBiase. And then in the main event, Hulk Hogan will take on Andre the Giant inside a steel cage. As uh, as the ref now getting in between Beefcake and Hercules. Beefcake had, uh, of course, getting the uh, clean the clean break here as uh, the ref's warning them here. Beefcake now... Getting the uh, getting the crowd all fired up here on this, uh, I'm sure probably was a very uh, hot summer summer day here at a uh, in Milwaukee as it uh, is called here. Now uh, Beefcake going into the uh, into the headlock here, grinding away on Hercules. <laughs> I was like he's trying to take trying to take the uh, take the head off here as he uh, as he as he uh, takes control here over Herc. Somebody, uh, the kid in the crowd there with his own uh, little uh, hedge clippers there, kind of kind of um, in the uh, vein of Beefcake here. Now, whip off, duck underneath. Beefcake, oh, that, oh, that, I don't know what they were. I don't know what they were trying there. Now they're trained. Now they're uh, trained blows. Beefcake getting the uh, getting the advantage here, firing up on Hercules, and Herc down uh, bounce off the ropes. Elbow right to the head by Beefcake, and Hercules takes a tumble uh, to the outside, and he's got to uh, regroup here. So, not not the um, not the best uh, little sequence there. I think once they started kind of like going at each other, and Herc clearly um, clearly not uh, 
pleased with himself as he's now got to uh, try to get uh, get back control here as the ref uh, begins as the ref is now uh, counting him out but he is going to uh, take his little uh, take his time here as he tries to get his uh, bearings here um, pretty conservative tights here for um, for beefcake obviously you know he would become known for his uh, kind of like you know the, the the ripped up tights with the see-through um, but here he's got just the normal uh, purple tights on here and Herc, uh, Herc now back in the ring at this all the uh, Brutai the Barber sign in the crowd as uh, Beefcake again trying to get the crowd um, trying to get the crowd fired up here as uh, Hercules is you know trying to get them to uh, get them calmed down a bit. He's uh, continuing to kind of uh, get his bearings together as he stalls here in the corner. Not much really else here to say. Here we go. There we go. Now they lock up. Um, Beefcake back to the headlock here. You know, for two guys that uh, were kind of mid-card stalwarts at this point, you figure they actually be a little bit more uh, hot and heavy. Um, but they're really kind of taking their time here as uh, backs Beefcake into the corner. Ref looking for the clean break here. Are we going to get it? Herc backs off and, oh, he tries to get the punch in, but Beefcake blocks it. Into the buckle he goes, and now doing the old, uh, the multiple times into the buckle as the crowd, as you hear them, uh, they are chanting, they are chanting along. Ten times in the buckle goes Hercules. He is uh, dazed and confused, as it were, as a uh, duck underneath Beefcake. And now Beefcake hoists him up, looks like it's going to be for a big time atomic drop. That definitely sent his his uh jaw his uh spine jarring there and beefcake now starting to really take control here over uh over Herc. Nice little uh savak kick there as it was called, but Hercules recovers quickly and sends Beefcake right to the outside through the ropes. And and now Beefcake is certain this is a good chance for uh, Hercules to kind of get some control here as he gets his his bearings back together. Now he's going to uh to go out to the apron here. Stomp right to the head of, of Beefcake as uh as we got some guy with a uh, with a looks like a cooler. I don't know if he's um trying to if he's like a vendor there if he's just uh, a random fan with the cool with the uh, cooler there. Uh, looked like there was some Milwaukee locals on the front, but I kind of didn't see didn't get a good look there as uh, as Harkdown is in complete control here of Beefcake pounding away on him. Again, the uh, the kid with the uh, with the shears trying to get uh, Beefcake going here, and uh, Herc now into the snap mirror with a headlock, and that's uh, and as I mentioned, of course, this is from the uh, August fifteenth prime time, so we got our uh, and Bobby Heenan, Bobby Heenan, as they are now talking about uh, talking about the history of Milwaukee and uh, wrestling. <laughs> Gorilla says he saw a couple of empty, seat, empty seats toward the state up towards the top, so it's not so. <laughs> Gorilla was like, you know, Gorilla's like, uh, you know, and Bobby's like, oh yeah, Bertha just went to get popcorns. <laughs> She's as big as a Buick. Uh, Gorilla and Bobby were so great. And by the way, this of course was the um, the feature match of uh, of this particular edition of Prime Time. So this is the final match here on this um, on this episode as we get some. Uh, there's we got there some quick highlights uh, from what's to come, and now uh, we're back here. And Gorilla, Gorilla's on the phone here, and one of the kind of kind of follow-throughs through the episode is uh, Gorilla on the phone 
about uh, trying to you know let people know that uh, that uh, summer of course SummerSlam will be on uh, on pay per view, and now they now they're going uh, now Grill and Bobby kind of going back and forth here. Now we cut back to Milwaukee here, right where we left off here. As uh, Hercules has now got a uh, a reverse chin lock here on. Uh, I'm Brutai trying to wear uh, wear the beefer down here, and uh, he's got it. Looks like he's got it uh, cinched in, nice and tight. Beefer starting to uh, sweat there. Like I said, I'm sure it was probably a, a really hot night there in uh, in Milwaukee. Although at this point it was probably during the day because I saw the sun. Because obviously the sun was still out. And Beefcake now uh, trying to uh, to get back to his feet here. Of course, they are the commentators are. Uh, course like i said hyping up the beefcake hockey match to come at SummerSlam. beefcake now fighting his way out through this uh out of this uh chin lock several elbows trying to get shot in but hercules with a knee right to the ribs knocks beefcake back down and it cuts off his his momentum there and like i said hercules looking really some really uh, good here the way with his you know his definition and like i say he he's not as big now as he would be eventually but he's definitely looking good here another good snapmare by herc measuring up for the elbow and he drops it right on onto beefcake great sell job by beefcake there um holding on to his throat um <laughs> Beef King, I don't know what the hell all that was. Now Hurt going for the pin. Took a little bit too long to do so, and that lets Beef Cake, um, that gives Beef Cake enough time to kick out. Hurt again trying for a pin, holding him down a little bit more. Still can't get the two. And now Hercules back to the uh, back to the uh, chin lock here, continuing to wear it down. Uh, Beefcake here, of course, the, uh, our referee here I, I, is one of the Hebners. I can't tell if that was Dave or if that was Earl. I think I think by the build it's Dave. Because I think he was still refereeing at this point, even though Earl had come in. And now we see again Beefcake, you know, in a lot of pain here as the uh, as the, the crowd here trying to uh, trying to will Beefcake on, trying to get him back, to, you know, get going here. But Herc is in full control as he grinds Beefcake down right to the mat. And now I can uh, get a clear shot. That is, in fact, uh, one Dave Hebner uh, refereeing the match here, as he's now going to do the old uh, check Beefcake's arm. Fell once ball twice here comes the third time but beefcake manages to survive he's still in it not quite uh not quite ready to uh call it it's call it call it yet now he's trying to uh get some momentum as he gets to his feet herc's still trying to really grind down on him get back some control <laughs> beefcake is definitely trying to and now now beef now uh, beefcake finally fights his way out stiff back that elbow fires up on Hercules, and I, I mentioned I thought the commentary was uh, was Sean and uh, Superstar, but it is in fact Gorilla and Bobby because I do have the uh, closed caption on here since I have the down. And now Beefcake's starting to get fired up, catches a kick attempt. Hercules had tried to a uh, big off for a second. Another nice shot there by Beefcake as Herc is uh, dazed in the corner. Irish whip now into the other corner by Beefcake. Nice back elbow as Hercules is now in trouble again. Beefcake's starting to roll. He's got some momentum going as he tries to get a big win here on this big show. Irish rip into the ropes. Big time clothesline by Beefcake. And he's now uh, singling the fans that the end is near. He's going to go for the sleeper and try to put Be and try to put Hercules down. Honestly, Hercules doesn't have much hair to cut if uh, Beefcake's got that in mind. So I don't know if that's what he's thinking here. Another nice shot there by... Uh, 
by Beefcake as he's starting to uh, really get gain some gain, gain some steam. Pounding the way on Hercules at the corner, now going up to the middle rope for the old uh, for the old ten punches. Again, the crowd going along right with it. <clears throat> and Hercules is now in a lot of trouble, and he's not uh, he's not feeling too good. Oh, but Hercules sends Beefcake face first into the buckle. Beefcake took a little bit too long to try to get to try to get his uh, momentum going, and now Herc looks like he is uh, he's ready to put the finishing touches on him. He's set up behind him, and here comes the full Nelson. But does he got the fingers locked? That was always the big thing. Can he get the fingers locked? He does not have the fingers locked. Beefcake trying to get some momentum, and he sends Hercules right into the buckle. Gets the moment, gets the appearance, and now he's got the sleeper, and the crowd is pops big for that, trying to put down, uh, trying to put Hercules down. Herc trying to do the same thing that Beefcake did, but it doesn't work. Beefcake sends him into the corner, roll up by Beefcake two. There's the three, and Brutus Beefcake gets the win here at WrestleFest '88. So now, when I originally did this uh, match for PTB, I gave it a two, and I think I stick by that grade. It's not. It's it's not as good as I thought it would could it could have been considering who was involved, um, but it was you know decent enough. It just goes just shy of ten minutes. It's a um, big win for Beefcake. Even the ending did kind of catch me a little bit off guard. I don't know why he didn't just get the win with the sleeper, but if anything, it does give Beefcake uh, at least he got a clean win because this seemed like the uh, the kind of match that would just scream uh, double DQ, double count out. But instead he does get the win and Hercules' uh, slide down continues while Beefcake is now roaring into SummerSlam with a lot of momentum. So that will wrap it up here for me. Thank you for joining me. It's been a lot. It was good to kind of, I like doing that live watch feel. I might do that um, going forward. Depends on um, the length of the, of the uh, matches that I do, but, uh, but that will wrap it up for me. Thank you again. Uh, now we continue on with the next match here on, as I said it before, the marathon that is, is WrestleFest 88. Hey there, everyone. This is the Down Under Thunder. This is Dave Hall coming at you once again with... I've got a little bit of deja vu. I, 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 I think I'm seeing double... I'm, I'm seeing things again and again. Um, because I'm bringing you the match between the Killer Bees... And the fabulous Rougeau brothers. Now, if you joined us on the last episode of Crunoso, you will have heard that I got the opportunity to cover the heel turn of the Rougeau brothers, which culminated with the superstars of wrestling match from July 1988 between the Rougeau brothers and the Killer Bees. And this match is the follow-on. This match is is the overrun of that event. We have the uh, the revenge match, you could say, the rematch between the Killer Bees and the Rougeos. Not that you would have known it if you were listening to the commentary because they did not touch on it once. But we're going to get back to that shortly. I'll talk about the commentary in a little while. But the you know we're here. We've got our rematch. This is their first opportunity to see the Rougeos in full heel mode. And um, and they come out and they're wearing they are now wearing the shorts the the Montreal Quebec shorts the blue and the gold and you know it looks great this is the look that that they stick with right through the rest of their run as a tag team and the Killer Bees are also wearing shorts um unfortunately while the Rougeos look awesome in their shorts 
the killer bees look ridiculous because their shorts are black with these really thin white hoops going across their body. And it makes them look fat. It makes them look overweight. I don't know how anyone ever thought about this. I mean, you don't wear the hoops around. You wear them up down. It, it sort of it thins you out when you wear them up down. And I think the bees miss that. Superstar Billy Graham takes to calling it summer wear. And that's ridiculous. I mean, he's just, he's a goofball. Um, and as I said, I have more to say about the commentary shortly. But the Rougeos are in the ring to the booze. We are in full heel mode and they kick it off by offering the handshake and the bees want nothing to do with it. And if you think back to last time, you can, no wonder, you know, they were a bit upset with how the Rougeos won the match and all that. So, yeah. So anyway, Ray and uh, Jim Brunzel start off with some really good counter wrestling. Um, Ray bails from the ring, as you'd expect. And uh, when uh, when Brunzel goes to sort of throw a punch and, and Jacques, he's complaining about the punch and, and you know, calling it all out. Uh, Ray goes back in. Brunzel hits him with a rolling head scissors and, and Jacques, he's comforting Ray. He's looking after Ray. He tags himself in and, and he points to be Brian Blair. I want you. I want you in the ring. And Blair... Blair complies, comes in the ring. We get a lockup, and, and and Jacques gives the clean break in the corner, and uh, looks good. You know, some more great counter wrestling from from Jacques and from B. Ryan Blair. Uh, then we get a really good monkey flip and a fantastic nip up by Jacques. I always love Jacques Rougeau's nip up. It looks great, and of course, you know he, he's pretty proud of himself. He offers another handshake. Blair wants nothing to do with that one either. Um, he offers the left hand. Uh, Jacques offers the left left hand and um, grabs Blair. Does an Irish whip. Jacques um, Jacques does the uh, the flip. Sorry, Blair does the whip. Jacques does the reverse flip where he lands on his feet, plays to the crowd, and B. Brian Blair hits him with a massive clothesline. And Jacques goes out and gets his little brother hug from Ray. He's, he's a bit worried about that. Um, Ray comes into the ring and starts working on the leg and um, and Jacques. Uh, Jacques sort of does the tag, gets the ref's attention, tags in, and uh, and they start really doing the double team work on uh, on the on the leg of B. Brian Blair. Uh, Blair manages to uh, sorry, they're working on Brunzel. Blair then tags in and and he starts working on the knees and the back and the thigh and on Ray's hamstring. He, he, he the bees start working on the so we're getting some really good counter maneuvers here. The the, the Rougeos work on a body part, the bees are working on the same body part. They're really they complement each other very well, and, and it looks really good. They, they really have this going. Um, Ray tries to make a tag to, to his brother, but um, Brunzel drags him back to the middle of the ring. He tries a Boston Crab, but Ray blocks it and, and tags in his brother Jacques. Jacques um, helps helps Ray, and, um, and, and Blair rolls up Jacques for, uh, for a two-count. Jacques says that Blair attacked him from behind and he offers his back. And and this is, you know, so he, he's doing the, you know, he sort of gets attacked from behind by Blair, clothesline from behind, rolled up from behind. And, and, and Jacques is standing there saying, you can attack me from behind. And Billy Graham, superstar Billy Graham goes, oh, he's offering him a full Nelson. No, is Billy Graham even watching the match? Like, Jacques is complaining about being attacked from behind. Um. We get we get a little series that happened in the last match. Jacques uses a drop toe hold on on Blair. Then he tries it again. He misses it. Blair does a drop toe hold of his own. 
Um, and and they start, and he and Brunzel start working on Jacques' leg now, and Jacques sells it so well. Jacques is so good at selling the uh, the work on, on his leg. He, he's just absolutely fantastic. Uh, Blair locks on a Boston Crab, um, and, and in a really cool move, Ray Rougeau pushes the rope. Uh, as Jacques is trying to reach the bottom rope, Ray pushes the rope out so that Jacques can get it, and uh, the hold has to be broken. Ray tags in and he goes for a Boston crab of his own and 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 Jacques starts trying to get the crowd to chant USA USA they want none of it they're booing him and we all know uh, Blair powers out of the Boston crab he gets himself a two count Ray reverses it for a two count this is great stuff good counter wrestling countering each other's some quick moves and and it's really good stuff Blair does get a full now he actually puts on a full Nelson Billy superstar Billy Graham this is what a full Nelson looks like. Okay, um, but Jacques distracts uh, B. Brian Blair and Ray. Uh, Ray attacks him and 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 they gain the advantage. They start double teaming again. Um, some really good stuff. We get the the Jacques locks in the abdominal stretch, tags in Ray who who drops it, um, hits the savot kick. It's just I love that little move. I love it more when uh, when they really start playing into it and getting the rest attention. They don't do that. We're not at that point yet. Um, Ray locks in a chin lock, and this match is moving pretty well. Ray tries a monkey flip out of the corner, but Blair blocks it and does the reverse atomic drop, and Ray sells it brilliantly. Hot tag, Brunzel's in the ring. Hot tag, he's he's drop kicking. He does a monkey flip, big backdrop. He rams Jacques and Raymond together, the old head-to-head, and, and he is on fire. Brunzel locks in a figure four leg lock, but Jacques breaks it up. Um, Jacques hits his own atomic drop and um uh sorry, sorry, Jacques is hit with the atomic drop and Brunzel then hits the drop the drop kick. Gee, Brunzel has a great drop kick. Ray breaks up the pin and um uh, and Blair is in and the ref gets distracted. And while the ref is distracted, Brunzel goes for a body slam and Ray comes off the top rope and kicks it with a drop kick. And uh, and then he puts Jacques on top of Brunzel and Brunzel and Jacques gets the pin. And there we have it. The, the, the Rougeos have won again. The Farious means they've won again. The Bees are not happy and the Rougeos bail. But this was a really, really good match. If you watch this match, you'll see the crowd were into it. The, it was good counter-wrestling, awesome stuff. Sadly, the commentary absolutely sucked. Um as I said, this match built on what happened on Superstars of Wrestling and what had happened for the past four to six weeks with the Rougeau's heel turn. You would never have known it um, listening to this commentary because Sean Mooney, Superstar Billy Graham mentioned it don't, and, and, and Luscious Johnny, but no one mentions it. They don't say anything about it. Superstar Billy Graham and Sean Mooney, it is just, and Lord Alfred Hayes, sorry, are just terrible. Um, and and it's one of those times where commentary takes away from the match. If you if you listen to this commentary, you, you just this match feels boring because they're not focused on the match. They're not talking about the history. I mean, look for all you know, whether you like Vince McMahon or Grill Monsoon or whatever. What's great about them is they will tell the story. Vince would have been talking about how in disingenuous the Rougeos have been, how they're flying these flags, how they don't really mean it. Like, he tells that story. Gorilla would have talked about what... Gorilla and Jesse would have talked about what happened on Superstars. They would have talked about this being a rematch. They would have talked about how the Bees wouldn't trust the Rougeos. 
we, if you got that story, the match would have just, this would have been a four-star match from a television perspective. In ring, you watch it without the uh, without the commentary, I reckon you're looking at a three-star match. It was a really enjoyable match. It went for 15 minutes, but it didn't feel like it. It really flew. But the commentary nearly put me to sleep. Um, and, and that's really sad. You know, but the Rougeos have got their win. They've started this journey. They've turned heel and they've got now got two wins over the Killer Bees. Um, you know, interesting thing is this is pretty well the end of the story for the Killer Bees. Uh, Killer Bees did, uh, they did one more television taping where they lost a match to the Bolsheviks. Um, they did a couple of house shows, but within, like, within seven days, they were split up. Now, for whatever reason, they, they didn't leave the company. They were split up, and Blair and Brunzel both moved into singles. They basically became jobbers to the stars. Now, my theory is, is this all time coincided with the arrival of the Rockers, and um, and Vince didn't want two white meat baby face tag teams that had the high flying sort of attack and and the rockers are a much better version of of that team and so as a result blair and brunzel get broken up blair they're both due to be on a survivor series team separately blair bails from the company before survivor series that's down the track but the reason i'm mentioning this is because we're not going to see blair and brunzel again or we're not going to we'll still brunzel we're not seeing blair again as for the Rougeos, this is the start of, of a great heel run, and it's only going to get better over the next couple of episodes of Cronoso as we see some, some changes to their acts, some extra additions, and some um, and really fine-tuning the work to, to, to make it really brilliant in the ring. But, you know, if, if look, as I said, if you can bear through the commentary, give this match a go because it is really enjoyable. The rise of the Rougeos. I've really enjoyed um, these last couple of episodes looking at the rise of the Rougeos. They're always, uh, I've always had a soft spot for, for Jacques and Raymond. Um, and I can't wait to see more of them over the next few episodes of Chronos. So, but you know, that's it for me for now. Um, if you want to hear more of, of me, you can, uh, download access the through the looking glass uh podcast it's over on the place to be um nation podcast network um through the looking grass it's all it comes out once a month and uh, we sort of go back and look at how wrestling history could have been different if different actions or different events take place you know maybe one day i need to consider doing an episode where we look at what might have happened if the rougeos got a tag title run in the wwf that could be an interesting one. I'll have to keep that in mind. But for now, that's it from the Down Under Thunder. I sure hope for hell that the commentary of superstar Billy Graham, Lord Alfred Hayes, and Sean Mooney gets better. I know it doesn't. Luckily for you, you guys have the benefit of hearing the awesome, awesome analysis from the rest of the Cronoso team. And I know you can't wait. So let's just get on to the next match. Hey, Kelly Nelson here to talk to you about Bret Hart versus Bad News Brown. So I'm, I'm quickly becoming an expert on this feud from 1988. I uh, reviewed um, a match that they had against each other from the Spectrum from May, May 21st, with uh, Ryan Gray a week or so ago. And that's going to be on YouTube so I thought when it came to 
picking matches for this show, I'd, I'd remain consistent and uh, keep going with this feud. And of course, I mean, this is a, as a Calgary boy, this, uh, this feud's right up my alley with uh, Bret Hart and Bad News Allen. And um, speaking of which, I thought before I'd get into the match, I'd give a little history on the two men and uh, their time before the WWF and, and encounters they had in Calgary. Uh, both started around the same time, 1977-78. Uh, Brett in Calgary, of course. News, though, was um, actually started in Japan, where he was presented as like, you know, what he was. He was a judo expert, and he legit did win a bronze medal at the 1976 Montreal Summer Olympics. So he wrestled in Japan a lot. He actually had a first stint in the WWF slash WWF in 78-79 that's totally forgotten, is never was never, of course, re- referenced in 1988 when he came back. And he wrestled basically um, under his, his real name of Alan Coge. And um, yeah, he didn't really have much to do there. He was on at least one Madison Square Garden show in a tag match, I believe. And I'm actually not too much of an expert on that uh, era of, of uh, bad news. I should uh, I should check some more matches out, see what's out there. Could be interesting. And so news came to Calgary in 1982. And this is where he, he got over huge. He was billed as the ultimate warrior. So he was the original ultimate warrior. Um, wrestled as B- uh, Bad News Allen, of course, in Calgary. Be- quickly became the top heel. And uh, eventually feuded with Brett, who was basically the top babyface. And that happened in 1983. Uh, There is a ladder match between the two of them out there from Calgary. Uh, Of course, clipped, but it's out there if you can find it. And something I found interesting when I did a bit of research was that uh, Brett and Bad News teamed uh, with each other in Japan uh, several times between 1982 and 1984 um, against Japanese wrestlers. And that was not uncommon in New Japan and in all Japan to have two um, wrestlers who would, you know, be feuding with each other or opposite sides of the heel-face divide in North America team with each other when uh, they came went on tour in Japan because uh, the fans in Japan didn't know, or most, <laughs> the vast majority didn't know about uh, what was going on in North America. So now we go to 1988 and the feud that started at WrestleMania 4 at the end of the Battle Royal. And I looked in to see, you know, how many times they wrestled, you know, where they wrestled, if uh, what matches between them were televised. And looking at the big, you know, major arenas, uh, they wrestled at Madison Square Garden, Maple Leaf Gardens, the Spectrum, and and Boston Garden. And those matches were all televised and like i said ryan and i watched the one from the spectrum um from may um they only wrestled once in madison square garden once in maple leaf gardens and once at the spectrum and all were the same uh, result 20 minute time limit draw but in boston they had two matches the first being a time limit draw and the second being uh news winning by cheating and we're going to see with this match at WrestleFest, I think it's probably basically is the same match as the, as the Boston rematch, as far as the finish goes anyway. And they wrestled in their old battleground of Calgary, 
on Canada Day, July 1st, 1988. So they did get uh, one match in Calgary from this feud, which was kind of neat. And uh, I was also just looking to see, you know, if this uh, WrestleFest match was the last time they would wrestle, because this was basically at the end of the feud and, and um, the Hart Foundation were reformed and would go on to have a babyface run right after this. But no, they actually had uh, more matches in 1989, late 1989 and January 1990, 10 or so matches. This was when Brett um, was doing a lot of singles work again um, after the Hearts had a good uh, run as, uh, as a babyface tag team and uh, news was kind of in between things. So they went back on a few house shows and, and, and wrestled each other, but none of those matches were televised. So on to the match. Here we are, Milwaukee County Stadium, 25,866 in attendance. Nice-looking crowd. Uh, it looks like more than that, actually. Um, so, yeah, the WWF was very good at shooting these shows, whereas some uh, promotions would have similar attendances, but they're, you know, the the shooting of the the matches and of, of just the stadium made it look like it was you know there was a lot of empty seats and not so here um it looks uh, pretty damn full uh we have a pretty bad commentary team well mostly it's 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 a pretty bad superstar billy graham commentary sadly uh one of the great promos one of the great heels of all time but not a very good commentator and uh in this match he he's He's basically annoying. He keeps referring to Bad News Brown as bad, the bad news man, which I found quite annoying. Anyway, sticking with Superstar, he does approve of Brett's look. Um, you know, one charismatic wrestler to the next. He loves Brett's hair and, and specifically his sunglasses. Uh, he thinks they're cool. So here we go. Great bumping from the start by Brett. Uh, but he quickly reverses things and goes on the offensive. And we get some nice near falls throughout the match. The first one by Brett off a top rope elbow drop. That looked really nice. And there's good, very good heat for this match. I was kind of surprised. I was thinking oh, maybe the crowd might not be too into it. But no, they were into it. Uh, bad news is over as a heel for sure. And Brett was over to a certain extent as a baby face here. But just as I remarked, or Ryan and I talked about um, during the Spectrum match, Brett was just not quite ready for the big time here, and, and he himself admitted as much um, later on. Back to the commentary. Uh, so we have um, Sean Mooney on play-by-play, Lord L. Hayes here, along with superstar Graham. And Hayes gets off this line, quote, as our colleague Gorilla Monsoon says, and this is referring to Bret Hart, his excellence is absolute perfection. Uh, no, no, Lord Al Gorilla did not, in fact, say that. But um, to his credit, Hayes does quickly correct himself and says, Brett's the excellence of execution. News whiffs on the grid blaster. So we're getting close to the finish here. Um, it was a good back and forth match. And the crowd pops big for the Miss Gitto blaster because that was, of course, News's finish. And he was undefeated at this time. So um, 
you know, that was a very believable uh, setup here for the finish. And after that, Brett throws um, Brown to the outside, and we get a nice tope by Brett on news. A, kind of an underrated move in Brett's arsenal was his tope, um, and it looked good here. And now we get to the finish. News reverses a roll-up and uses the tights for leverage. And, you know, that protects Brett. It good heel win. Um, we get an anvil run-in immediately after the finish. And him and Brett sort of knock bad news uh, out of the ring and back in the ring and then out of the ring again and chase him away. And that uh, affirms that, indeed, the Hart Foundation are back. And uh, as I said, they're pretty much headed towards... Um, well, a world title, world tag team title match with Demolition at SummerSlam and going on from there. So I thought, yeah, this was a good match and could have been something special with more time. We only got six minutes and 26 seconds here, but it was wrestled at a pretty brisk pace, no downtime, and Brett looked good, Bad News looked good. These guys had good chemistry together. Uh, it's too bad we didn't get a bit more, but this match in the grand scheme of things wasn't very important. But what we did get was was pretty good. So yeah, um, I don't know if I'm going to check out some more matches. I think I've seen pretty much what there is to see as far as like the the variety of matches because basically they either did a 20 minute draw or um, or this with uh, bad news cheating to get the win. So I think I've seen. Uh, enough of this feud but it's a good feud a nice little uh underrated gem of a feud uh from 1988 and uh yes i am now officially the world's foremost expert on it anyway uh, i'm sure you'll hear from me again probably at SummerSlam. peace everybody what's going on Cronoso? this is mike rossi i am here to cover an intercontinental title match where the Honky Tonk Man, cornered by Jimmy Hart, defends against Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Now, after the Bad News Brown match ends, they pretty much cut right to Honky Tonk coming to the ring. They're stopped by Mean Gene in the podium for an interview. Gene says to Jimmy Hart that he thinks that this may be the biggest test of Honky Tonk Man's career so far, and certainly this title reign. Now... Jimmy says he disagrees, and he says that this is just another opportunity for the Honky Tonk Man to prove why he is, in fact, the greatest intercontinental champion of all time. Honky then gets asked a question by Mean Gene, completely ignores it, and then just thanks the audience and tells them that they are beautiful, and he will not let them down today. And in fact, after the match, he promises that he will sing and dance and celebrate with the crowd. Um, he then takes off for the ring, and then Hacksaw comes out with his 2x4 to a fairly decent pop. Pretty inaus inauspicious start here. Bell rings. Then Honky Tonk just jumps out of the ring, starts stalling, working the crowd, gives him heel heat. Hacksaw's in the ring doing his video game level taunts, you know, stomp, pose, all that BS. Then Honky gets back in. Hacksaw, you know, goes after him for a lockup. Honky dips out of the ring again. But this time, Hacksaw follows after him. Honky does the classic roll into the ring first to try to get the advantage when Hacksaw comes in second, but Hacksaw quickly countered out of that and starts hitting punches. Drops Honky after about three or four. Honky gets up, more punches. Now they're in one corner, 
and he's just hitting him with stomach blows, you know, midsection, head, back and forth. Then he Irish whips him to the opposite corner with a then second rope standing 10 count. Crowd's pretty hot. Honky falls forward while Hacksaw continues to work the crowd with some more taunts. Now, he grabs Honky as Honky gets up, hits him with 10 headshots to the corner. Crowd is really hot with the 10. Uh, Mooney really wants an 11 count at some point, but unfortunately doesn't get it. Then Hacksaw hits a clothesline off the ropes. Honky's back down, rolls out again. This time, Hacksaw jumps out of the ring, rolls him back in pretty quick. And Honky gets into the other side of the ring because Hacksaw was distracted by Jimmy Hart. And then Honky is able to get control over Hacksaw for the first time. Now from here, Hacksaw is still distracted by Jimmy Hart because the Honky Tonk Man works the ref in the corner, the opposite side of the ring, which allowed Jimmy Hart to choke Hacksaw. And then that was able to allow Honky to continue on with the momentum. Um, From there, he tried to hit Hacksaw with his own corner head count of 10. Doesn't get above one. Because Hacksaw overpowers him and then throws another Irish whip into a stiff single headshot blow punch of some sort. Then he goes down for his three-point stance. But instead of, you know, going for the clothesline, he goes with a, um, or the whatever, the shoulder tackle or whatever he did. Um, he went for a kick to the midsection, which I thought was interesting. And then he hits a very sloppy clothesline before setting up in the corner for yet another attempt. And a three-point stance into the tackle. But this time, Jimmy Hart jumps in the ring, grabs Hacksaw's leg, and the ref calls for the DQ. Hacksaw pretty much dominated this match um, in, in four and a half minutes or whatever it was. Um, but Hacksaw gets a W by disqualification. Hacksaw chases Jimmy into the ring, where Honky, again, had Jimmy obviously took off, but he chased him back into the ring. But Honky was waiting there with his guitar. Big swing. Duck by Hacksaw, who then is able to roll out and get his own 2x4, jumps in the ring. This caused Honky Tonk Man to flee. Honky Tonk leaves his guitar in the ring and just rolls out as he's going to take off. Um, then Hacksaw grabs Jimmy, throws him back into the ring, and then this gives Honky Tonk the chance to hop back in the ring, grab the guitar back, and then this time it looks like he's definitely going to hit him. But he doesn't. The payoff doesn't happen. Hacksaw dumps him again and proceeds to let Jimmy Hart escape as part of this as well. Hacksaw then gets announced as the winner in the middle of the ring. And he grabs that guitar that was abandoned yet again. And this time destroys it with his 2x4. Obviously, this is the start of of a rematch coming down the rope that we will assuredly talk about in the future. Thank you for having me again, Cronoso. And uh, WrestleFest 88 is coming back at you next. All right, people. Uh, Cronoso continues uh, here in Milwaukee at the home of the beers with WrestleFest 88. And you're now listening to Johnny C. Who was I, of course. And, you know, I have never, ever, ever seen this show before. This show is really just an excuse for superstar Billy Graham to get his training wheels off. But nonetheless, here we are covering it for you. I've drawn... Uh, the match on the card, which features the Bolsheviks taking on the powers of pain. Of course, as I'm sure it's been made abundantly clear, Sean Mooney, Superstar Billy Graham, and uh, Lord Alfred Hayes continue to be on the call. 
I will say this, I appreciate the unique environment in which this match is taking place. The Bolsheviks are already in the ring waiting their opponents. Of course, it's time for Nikolai to ask to sing. Nikolai does sing, and this is actually a fun spot. They ask Sean Moody on commentary, since he speaks Russian, if he knows the lyrics to what Nikolai is singing. Lord Alfred's like, Well, uh, Sean Moody, I believe you speak fluent Russian, and uh, I would appreciate a translation. And he's like, Well, uh, Lord Al, I believe that Nikolai Volkov is singing about selling vegetables for his country in Russia. And he one day dreams of having the biggest cart in all the yard. Yikes! Slap in the face to communism there, Sean Moody. I didn't know you were such a bigot. But but that's fine. Here come the opponents for the Bolsheviks, the powers of pain. Well, they are indeed awesome, adds Sean Mooney. The powers of pain theme song here sounds eerily like Tatanka's theme song without the chanting. Dun 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 the powers of pain attack even though they're the baby faces hey where's the baron the powers of pain's new oh that's not until SummerSlam. my apologies it's a pier 69 brawl as everyone punches and kicks and punches and kicks superstar billy graham lets us know they never wait for the build they attack in big time brother uh the powers of pain clear the ring mount the ropes and pose uh, the Bolsheviks escape to the outside. Well, it appears, well, would you say that Nikolai uh, got lucky getting there to the outside? Oh, yes! <laughs> he got very lucky! The Bolsheviks hold their heads up high, walk towards one another, and hug. It is the power of communism! Uh, the Russians have been boasting that they aren't afraid of the powers of pain. Well, they haven't faced them. Now I would... I uh, guarantee they've been suitably impressed with their first uh, brief encounter. The match finally settles down, and it looks like Barbie and Nikolai are going to start. It's a lockup! Both men push away. Nikolai flexes his biceps and yells, his famous yell. <laughs> the superstar Billy Graham says that Russians can't be trusted. Jesus Christ! They lock up again. They break off of the lockup. Barbarian poses! Oh, yeah! Nikolai complains to the referee like, Hey, he yanked my trucks when he trunks when he pushed away from the lockup spot. And the referee, goddammit, goes over to Barbarian like, Hey, did you pull on his tights? And Barbarian's like, No, I pushed. And he actually mimes pushing him. Uh, but both men now collide, and nobody moves. Superstar Billy Graham rambles about asking the Barbarian where he comes from. Because their build is for being parts of known. And he's like, well, let me tell you something, Moody Lord Everton Hayes. I was, I was backstage and I was talking to, uh, I kind of sound like Dusty Rose for some reason. But I was talking to the Barbarian and I asked him where he's from for, you know, publicity purposes. A commentary. Publicity purposes. Yeah, I said publicity purposes. And he told me it's none of my business. Borisukov is in. Borisukov is down. Borisukov fights back though with fists of grain and snowfall. Boris charges, but it's a big power slam from Barbie. I guess uh, Nikolai Volkov and Borisukov aren't uh, cut out to beach since Barbie's having their way with them here. One, 
Two! No! Nikolai breaks up the pin attempt, and Boris Zukov flees to the outside. A quick conference between the Bolsheviks, and Boris returns into the ring to do battle, now with the Warlord. Lord Alfred Hayes rambles on about the weight and the power of the powers of pain, and ends with this dynamite gem. Well, the power is definitely well in favor of the powers of pain. You see that? Because they have power! Power in their name! Now I need a drink. Boris Zukov gets the hell out of the ring. Nikolai uh, wants to go in with the Warlord and get a test of strength going. Oh, God. So they do. Warlord's winning. No, Nikolai is winning. Nope, the Warlord's back up and Nikolai is down. Now at this moment, for some reason, the referee in the encounter goes to talk to the Barbarian. Perhaps he's trying to find out where all the trim is going to be tonight here in Milwaukee after the show. This trim-based distraction allows Borisukov to come off the top rope, shades of Eddie Guerrero, and cheat to win by hitting the Warlord. Nikolai is in control in this test of strength, but somehow the Warlord fights back and gets Nikolai down. Now at this moment, ladies and gentlemen, the referee has more questions for the Barbarian. Perhaps he needs to know the dress code of the club where the trim is located. This allows Borisukov to go up to the top again, but he goes to the well once too often, jumps, and hits his own man. A double noggin knocker delivered by the powers of pain. Wait a minute now, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, we got a conspiracy alert. Superstar Billy Graham is talking to Al and Sean Mooney, and he wants to know what it would feel like to have the powers of pain show up at your door to date your daughters. Ladies and gentlemen, Superstar Billy Graham will ask the exact same question of a Gorilla Monsoon at SummerSlam 88. I just watched it. The match resets. It's Warrior and Borsukov. Warrior tags to Barbie because he's just living in his world. Barbie unleashes some standing big boots. Barbie then charges into the corner. Oh no! He hits his own shoulder in the ring post. Barbie is your face in peril. Where is Ken? I wanna push you here out. Well, I will. Well, I will. We get a succession of quick tags now by the CCCP. A big double clothesline from Moscow misses. And the Warlord powers up with a big double clothesline from Parts Unknown. A big back body drop to Boris Sukov. A body slam to both of the Bolsheviks. It's Bonzo Gonzo. All men in the ring. Ah, uh, the powers of pain do a double whip, and the Bolsheviks collide center ring. Barbie hits the big boot to Nikolai that sends him over the top. Shades of Sylvester Stallone. Warlord power slams Borisukov. Barbie comes off the top with the patented barbarian headbutt. One, two, three! My God, it's over! It's over! And it is the exact same match these two uh, combinations of two will have at SummerSlam 1988. Look, the match is like six minutes long. I don't know what you want from me. It was not entertaining. It was a waste of my time and your time. And, uh, my time! My time! My time is turning. My time! My time! You want to know when you've had enough? You don't know what trouble is. The, the smart one, the easy one, the stupid one. Yeah, Mr. Dunn. I don't know the lyrics to the song anymore. But that was probably the best part of watching this sh that match was you got to hear me sing, My Time! Or when I sang Push as well. If you like more nonsensical entertainment of this nature, you can follow me on my own personal podcast feed, The New 
TNN. We are pop. Just put the new TNN into any search engine and you'll find it. We take a humorous slant at professional wrestling and movies. And by the time this hits your eardrums, we'll have just probably celebrated our 200th episode. So we got on a big float and threw money in Gotham City and poisoned everybody. All right, I'm also at the Multiverse of Fabulous with Keithy Langston. I'm Johnny C. And a winner is you. All right, Cronoso Cooks. We're in uh, July 31st, 1988. County Stadium, Milwaukee, where the evil WWF at the time... uh, Doing a nice screw you to uh, their Crockett counterparts who were running a show the the next night at War Games. And uh, they did a good job. They got about 25,000 uh, strong here on County Stadium. And then the next night, Crockett had a War Games uh, for only 3,000. So uh, the war was on, and uh, Vince doesn't like to lose. Uh, so uh, this 15 match extravaganza had uh, a lot of. Uh, uh, interesting matches, uh, some good, uh, some uh, not so good, and uh, <laughs> speaking of that, that that's where uh, my draw is in the not so good, but at least it's uh, short. I got, uh, we're talking about uh, Jim the Anvil Nightheart versus uh, Lanny Poffo, who's been uh, jobbing since uh, 1986, and uh, the Anvil part of a former tag team champion uh, with uh, Bret Hitman Hart, and uh, uh, since uh, WrestleMania 4, it seems like uh, Bret Hart has been tied up with Bad News Brown uh, going at him and uh, maybe changing his ways, uh, starting to like the uh, the crowd applause. And uh, the it looks like the decision for the anvil was up in the air. Maybe they were going to turn him and uh, have him go against Bret. Uh, eventually, we know we know what happened where... Uh, he he sticks on the on the same side and they reteam and all that so uh, and Anvil kind of uh, goes face two uh, at that WrestleMania four the end of that battle royal uh, turned Bret face and uh, and and instead of do, doing the obvious where uh, they, they break it up uh, they uh, they go their separate ways a little bit and uh, and then they they eventually they team back up but in this one it, it looks like uh, they they were trying to keep Anvil as a heel and uh, and see where it was, where it was going to go from there. So uh, we, we started off, Lanny reads one of his poems, he sucks up to the uh, Brewers and Braves crowd, uh, total face promo, you know, all, all about WrestleFest and, and the big crowd and, uh, and the Milwaukee crowd uh, really playing it up. And then uh, the bell rings and Lan- Lanny is real aggressive, uh, uh, puts Anvil down and, and then he goes for his uh, signature finishing uh, backflip move uh, about 10 seconds in, Anvil gets the knees up. And uh, and changes the momentum and then does a signature laugh and uh, and Anvil pretty much dominates this uh, this little short three minute match from there. Uh, uh, Lanny gets some uh, brief of- offense uh, on the commentary. We got uh, Lord Alfred Hayes, Superstar Graham, and Sean Mooney, uh, and, and no no uh, gems from the commentary right there. Uh, and especially Superstar, it really treats uh, Lanny like the like a jobber. Uh, let's do it. There's no way Lanny's a Stature is uh, obviously just hanging on. Uh, well, uh, the better days are coming for Lanny, uh, uh, I, I predict. Uh, character change and all that, and uh, a lot more important spot on the card than jobbing here. But the uh, commentary struggling. Uh, Anvil misses a tackle to- towards the end, uh, and then Lanny gets a, a couple of brief, uh, brief offensive moves in. But then he runs right into uh, Anvil's uh, signature easy power slam for the one, two, three. 
and uh, establishes that, that Len needs a jobber there. And uh, for Anvil, we, we don't know. Uh, is he going to push? Is he going to be a heel? Or, or what? It's kind of open-ended here. Uh, uh, short and sweet, uh, quick match there. Nothing uh, earth-shaking. And th- this is what you get when you got 15 matches uh, on the card. So uh, it's, uh, we'll see you from County Stadium in Milwaukee. Uh, not much this month. Uh, real uh, quick in and out. And, uh, and not much material to draw from. So this is Johnny uh, D. And uh, we'll talk to you next month. Peace. Hey now, it's Steve Bennett here, the host of 3x5 with Steve Bennett on the North-South Connection YouTube page every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Also the host of the Sportscasters podcast and the 24-inch podcast with the world-famous Hollywood Dave Rollins and Paula Bennett. All right, WrestleFest 88, my assignment tonight is to talk about the championship match. Of course, the champion is Macho Man Randy Savage and his opponent is uh, the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, sort of a WrestleMania 4 uh, main event rematch. They drew 25,000 people to this thing, and I know baseball stadiums are weird, but my one criticism of the match is it never felt big. It never felt like a big championship match to me. Uh, I felt like it was quiet for a lot of it. There was a long rest hold. DiBiase put Savage in a never-ending headlock, and I felt like that went on for a long time. And the crowd never got super hyped. There was some stuff I really liked, though. Uh, I thought Virgil was really good on the outside. It really felt like Macho Man was at a huge disadvantage in the Virgil versus Miss Elizabeth competition. Miss Elizabeth is beautiful. She looked beautiful tonight. uh, But she didn't have the physical ability to interfere in the match the way that Virgil did, and Virgil was interfering often. Anytime Savage would go out to the ropes, I was like, I don't know if he's going to be able to drop the elbow because Virgil's going to throw him off. Also, Virgil had a really stiff chair shot on Savage that led to a two count. Uh, And some of the stuff towards the end when they were trading two counts was good. Uh, Ultimately, Savage wins the match on a small package. He gets the one, two, three. Also, I thought was pretty good. He kind of escaped. You know, it was like he was pushed to the limit by DiBiase and Virgil, and they cheated, and they did everything they could, and they worked on his leg, and they put him in the figure four, and they had the champ on the ropes, but he found a way to escape via the small package and get out of there with the belt. The pop was really good, I thought, when he won the match. It was a really strong uh, pop from the crowd. Uh, Part of it's just the overall just sort of tone of this. You know, Sean Mooney's not great. I like Lord Ethel Hayes. Sean Mooney kind of reminds me of Kevin Burkhart. I like him a lot better in the studio than I do play-by-play. I think Mooney's great in the studio. I don't think he's great play-by-play. His voice is a little soft. It kind of doesn't carry for me. So I never really particularly cared for him in that sense. But Alfred's good. They're they're dialed into the match. There's no doubt about that. Uh, But it just doesn't feel like a WWF championship match at any point to me. They don't mention it enough. You know, they don't. When he gets a two count, oh, he was this close to losing the championship. They just kind of never brought that. And I thought the energy from the crowd kind of didn't match either. The match is a little longer than it should be. I don't know what the actual runtime is. I'm sure I can look it up here as we talk. But it just felt a little longer than it needed to be. Uh, and actually, this match doesn't have a, a count on uh, on the websites I'm looking at here. Uh, obviously, this was packaged for Coliseum Home Video. Um, and it's a little difficult um, to 
uh, to watch it. Uh, it's not, I guess, on the network, or it is. I I had a special, you know, link to it uh, to watch it here. Certainly, the uh, as a kid, I watched it via renting it. I remember when it finally came to Wegmans, and I was like, WrestleFest, what the hell is this? I didn't even know there was a WrestleFest. What is this all about? It just... You know, it was like you got to be kidding me. I didn't, I didn't know we had this, and then I took it home, and I didn't. I don't want to say I was disappointed, um, but it wasn't as good as I thought it might be, given the matches that were on there. Um, you know, Andre and Hogan in the cage, and Demolition uh, against the Bulldogs in a tag match. You know, uh, we finally get to see Heenan. All the stuff my friends have been talking about during this whole thing, or will talk about uh, after me. Uh, but look at I uh, I enjoyed the match, although I thought they could have done better. Uh, I will say this in terms of storytelling, and I know there's always kind of been this consistency. But if you're the Macho Man, you got to be out of your mind to get in the ring and put your belt on the line with a Hepner roughing a Ted DiBiase match. There's just no way in hell you will give Ted the opportunity. To pay that guy off again. I can't believe he would do it. And it makes him look weak to me a little bit. Like, why in the world, you know, is this guy doing this? You know, why is he why is he putting the belt up here like this? That that doesn't make sense to me. And and you know, uh I just I was really surprised he did it. But look at I'm glad that North South connection, the Cronoso. Uh, got me to watch this again because I hadn't watched this match in years. Could have done without the long uh, headlock. Uh, Could have done with a little bit more atmosphere, a little bit more energy from the broadcast booth, a little bit more of a feeling of a championship match, uh, but really did enjoy some of Macho Man's athleticism, enjoyed some of the ring work that Virgil had. Uh, the fact that the, the cards were stacked against Macho Man was good, and I really loved the way he won to just kind of slither out of there to escape with the championship. It makes him feel a little vulnerable. You know, DiBiase's got to feel like he was just that close, uh, but not on this night. Macho Man retains. All right, that's it for me. Let's pass it on to the next Cronoso-er, whoever that may be. And uh, I look forward to being back on Cronoso next month for SummerSlam 88. Northside Connection, welcome to Cronoso. This is a special video edition, but if you're listening throughout the entire audio experience, we're just a small sliver of WrestleFest 1988. I'm with my friend Keith. Keith, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. How are you? I'm JT, by the way. I haven't even introduced you. I feel most You are JT. You are the one and only. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so you and I are, are buddies on Cronoso, generally. I leave you yes. hanging sometimes, but... That's okay. That's we all work right. together on occasion no, as no well. Problem. Yeah, I feel like that we... We have a good uh, a good flow when it comes to talking about the history and uh, the myth, the many myths of professional wrestling mm. throughout the years. So, mm. and WrestleFest is an interesting show because, like, it was released as a home video, but it was chopped up. So it's one of those ones where, like, over the years, people have kind of dug up the different pieces of it and put it all together. And there's copies out there that you can find. Um, and the match we're talking about today actually is available if you search for it. And that is Mr. Perfect. I, I, I don't think it's Red Rooster yet, right? It's Terry Taylor in this match. I think it's Mr. I, is I he think even Mr. Perfect yet? I know. I, I think it's still Kurt Henning. Kurt Henning versus uh, Terry, Terry Taylor. Taylor, which is just yeah. an incredible, on paper, you're like, what? 
<laughs> right. Bizarre. And this is like one of Hedig's earliest, if not, I don't know yes. his first match. We can look at it. But um, so they, he had obviously finally jumped over from the AWA. Terry Taylor had been an NWA mainstay. They both and Mid-South and all that. But uh, they both come in here at the same time. And we'll talk about the mythos and the rumors behind this match once we get into the match itself. This is about halfway through the card on WrestleFest, uh, right after, I guess, time-wise, chronologically-wise, takes after Savage and DiBiase in the card. Mm. Um, but again, this this card is, is hacked up to all pieces. Uh, did you rent this VHS as a kid? I did. Actually, I did. I remember yeah. we had we had a couple of vi- we had a video store. It was called Avenue Video, and it was just because it, the video stores were on avenues. And uh, so we used to I used to go in and I would rent all the tapes. And this was one of the tapes that I got. And I remember watching this. This is not on that tape, uh, right. as we as you had just explained. And uh, but I remember WrestleFest also because my local movie theater had the video game WrestleFest, and I think I wore that machine out playing that mm-hmm. playing that in the arcade. So. Yeah, this was I was all I was all gung ho for WrestleFest. Well, the weird thing too is isn't Hogan Andre in the cage on the case and it wasn't on the tape? Wasn't that yeah. like something weird like that? Like it's they show it on the VHS like out the shell or whatever. Um but yeah. then they didn't air that match on the Coliseum video. Like Savage DiBiase is like the main match sure. on the video. They, so well, Hogan I, Andre. I or is it the like other way were... around? Was Hogan Andre on the video and Savage? No, I think I don't think Hogan and Andre. I don't think Hogan and Andre were on the were on the card, even though that's the main event of the show. That was, I think, the selling point of the show was right. it was kind of like you know it was it was almost like the final battle of the two of them, you know. But uh, yeah, no, I don't know why it's uh, it's kind of they would do that from time to time, like especially with like the best ofs. Like you'd see a match on the cover, and that wasn't even the match. I remember there was like one of the one of the rampage tours that had like a it had like a picture of like Bossman versus somebody like boss man versus jake or something right like it's that. not even and, on there yeah. and jake's jake's not even in the company anymore so it's like where the hell do they get that picture <laughs> yeah. so i mean a lot of these matches aired on different like a bunch were on prime time mm-hmm. um a bunch were on vhs releases like savage dibiase is on macho madness mm-hmm. warrior bobby's on the warrior dvd the bobby tape yep. uh so like this stuff is all over the place hogan andre's actually on a, on a few different things um but yeah i wanted to I wanted to I see real look, quick with the actual VHS release. I did look up. This was this was Hennig's first uh, second match. Okay. So his first match is he he defeats Scott Casey at a house show in Tacoma, Washington, on July 29th, nineteen eighty eight, okay. and then he wrestles Terry. De- so this is where we kind of get into that mythos of what right. this match actually the the repercussions of this match, which is going to be funny to talk about. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to look real quick to see if I can find the actual like VHS of what's on there. Um, yeah, because even if you go to like Cage Match and look up the card, it's the it entire shows the whole card. card. Yeah, so it's really weird. I don't know what was on it. Actually, well, history of WWE um, VHS here. Let me check real quick here, because uh, I know when Graham did these, like he would usually he had a section just for the VHS releases and what was on those. Mm-hmm. So let me look real quick. I'm in '88. And if it's not here, we'll we'll move on. <laughs> we'll, we'll continue to beat this into the ground. Right. Um, <coughs> SummerSlam. I'm, I'm trying to look and see, like, even on the eBay, like, if you can get the VHS tape on eBay. Right. All right, here's the WrestleFest. Yeah, it was the other way around. So it does have Hogan, Andre. It's okay. it's Savage DiBiase that's not on. That's oh, what right. okay. okay, so it's Rujo's versus the Bees, Bad News versus Brett, Duggan Honky, Powers of Pain uh, Bolsheviks, Nightheart Poffo, Jake and Rude, Warrior Bobby, Demolition, 
uh, versus the Bulldogs. Mm. Bravo Patera and Hogan Andre is on the tape. Okay. All right. So Savage isn't. This match isn't. Um, I'm not sure what else. Uh, oh, Beefcake Hercules. Did I say that? That was on the card. That's not on here. So I don't know. If, so those three at the very least aren't on this actual show. Yeah. The beefer. As you the beefer. <laughs> the beef man. All right. Let's uh, fire this up. So like yep. I said, if you if you search around the usual video sites, you'll find it. Um, but we're going to go ahead and share it for uh, the viewing ourselves. audience while yes. we watch here. You know, uh, were you familiar with Hennig at all? Like before he showed up? Uh, no, only because I wasn't at that point reading any of the PWI or anything like that. So not really. I mean, we didn't get AWA at all. And at least I don't think we did in Boston. Nah, yeah, that was more Midwest. North. Yeah. I'm yeah. But I'm even thinking like, I know like how like ESPN would sometimes play stuff, but I think mm. wasn't ESPN up here like playing like WCCW. <laughs> they did have AWA, I think, for a while, but I think it was early. It was like yeah. 86 oh, like, or whatever. Oh, like, yeah, by the yeah, time, yeah. time we started watching, it was world-class. That was like 87, 88. I remember yeah. watching that. That's like some of my first memories watching wrestling was like world-class on ESPN. And then um, Global was the big ESPN. Like I remember oh, that yeah. was like every like Thursday at 4 or something like that. And it was yep. I watched that religiously um, on Global. ESPN. Yeah. I was a big fan of Global, actually. <laughs> Global's awesome. Pete, uh, he I mean, busts my terrible. jobs about awesome. being a big fan of Global. He's always like, you, <laughs> "You're a big fan of Global." I was like, "Yeah, man." So, Lightning Kid. That's uh, right. But th so this is, yeah, it's full on Kurt Hennig. He's in the tights, and and the legend goes right. So here's the legend of this match. Mm -hmm. I want to focus on this. Right, is that this match was kind of a test for both guys, and both guys were up for the character of Mister Perfect. Mm -hmm. And. I don't know if I believe that the loser was going to be the red rooster. Like, I don't know if that was really a plan yet, but I don't, I just don't buy it. Like, I don't know. <coughs> Excuse me. And not to like, you know, I like Scott Keith. We're buddies and all that. Like, but like, there's a whole set of wrestling rumors. Right. And I think he yeah. would even, you know, admit to this, right. That him and others kind of conflated and started up and spun up in the early days of the internet, late nineties, early two mm thousands. -hmm. Maybe with mm -hmm. stuff from our buddy Herb Coons. Uh, that we talk about the place to be, different yep. news group stuff. Like, oh, this was that, and it just gets passed down as lore, right, on the internet in, yeah. the, in the early days. I, I can't, I can't buy it either. I mean, knowing from other people who have come in and had conversations, like how they say, usually you get the call from Vince, and then you mm -hmm. go into the office or you go into his house or wherever, depending on how high up in the card you were going to be, and you sit down, you have a talk, and he says. You know, what are you into? What are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. I could see a guy like knowing how athletic Kurt Henning was, I could yeah. see him going in and being like, well, you know, I play this, I play that, I play this, I play that, I do this. Mm -hmm. And having Vince go, wow, it sounds like you're just a perfect character altogether. <laughs> you know, there it is. Perfect. Yeah. But and knowing that I think and I've always said this, I think Terry Taylor pissed somebody off like in the beginning, like in his yeah. interview or whatever. And that's where they came up, because when you talk about. Pritchard talking about he's a cock of the walk and all that kind of stuff. It almost sounds like they were deliberately trying to shit all over him. And even when he first like maybe came it was a little in, arrogant coming in or something. Yeah, and like even when he first came in and how they treated him because they treat him and Perfect very mm -hmm. differently. Like yeah. Perfect comes in as an already fully established like dynamite guy, whereas right. Taylor comes in and he's got Bobby Heenan shitting on him, and then he's you know he says, "Oh, you're a piece of garbage," and I'm going to turn yeah. you into something great. And it's so I have to believe that. Something that's happened. all that's all nonsense i mean do you like t could taylor have been mr Perfect? like 
I guess, but it wouldn't have been as nearly as successful. Like nearly, I think it would have been just like something like kind of another run of the mill during this time period. I think he had the um, the way to carry himself. Yeah, to be a Mister Perfect. I think in ring, like his work is there to be right. in that gimmick. But Kern Hennig just had that it that I don't think Terry Taylor ever had, and no. it's clear because he he never made made it far. Well, I mean um, that's but... that's that's like who who is it that comes in around the same time as the Undertaker? that they had and there was like there was like this not that there was discussion about john doe other... charles Wright, maybe no, it no wasn't that was that. a year I later I, I want i it's not the berserker but let's just take right. for instance the berserker yeah. like could the undertaker have been could could you know mark calloway be the berserker yeah. and john nord be the undertaker it's like no like there's a reason why certain characters fit yeah. and i don't think that taylor would have fit as a perfect guy because and you're right he would have just been a run-of-the-mill mid-card heel that everybody would have beat up on and then whatever, he would have been forgotten. Whereas if Henning came in and he just was Kurt Hennig and that's it, right. like he probably still would have achieved yeah. a lot of yeah. success because he just had that attitude, that it factor. Yeah. It's the factor for him because I don't even think there's a big discernible difference in their work. Like I think one of the biggest things we've uncovered through say the GWWE project and stuff that we've done stretch projects is like, I think, WWF work-wise, guys like Mr. Perfect, Rick Rude are like a little overrated. Yeah. Um, in the ring, when you look just like a like match output, I think Perfect's less overrated than than Rude, but um, he's still like, a great wrestler. You know, what I mean, and right. and I don't think Taylor could talk like Perfect could because no. Perfect's a guy where even with managers that could talk like a Poffo mm-hmm. and a Bobby, and, and then with Flair, he still talked on his own all the time. Like sure. he didn't need them to talk for him. It just added right. to the package. But right. I mean, he went toe to toe with him and Flair as a package. And like, mm-hmm. it was never like Flair dominated and perfect was just in the background. I mean, he, he was talking as much as Flair was. So like he had, I can see why they, they went with him for this role. I mean, he had the look, he had um, the, the cachet, the it factor. Yeah. I almost, and, and there it is. Yeah, so he won with basically <laughs> like a discus punch. I mean, um, that was, but Taylor would... did a clean job. So to me, this in no way is anyone watching this match to decide which of these two guys is getting pushed. No. Like it is obvious here. It's like a four minute squash. Like Taylor didn't get much in at all. I would say the only difference in this match versus a normal Kurt Heading match is that he didn't bump all over the world for Terry Taylor like he does with Well, that tells else. you even more, right? That yeah. they didn't want this fucking guy selling for him. Like they're yeah. like, I mean, go in there and eat him up, basically. That's that's probably that <laughs> I think is one of the biggest differences between a guy like Rude and a guy like Hennig is that Rude, while he bumped and he was funny with his bumping, like when you would do the inverted right. atomic drops and stuff, like nobody bumped like Hennig. I mean, I don't no. think Who's the next guy to come after him? Sean, like Shawn yeah, Michaels, yeah, bumped, when, and not even it. Shawn Michaels rockers. It's like Shawn Michaels later on. Heel Shawn, bumps, yeah. yeah, heel Shawn is, but he bumps as much as Hennig, and that's what I think is probably differentiated him between everybody else. Is that you knew that he could go in, he could protect himself, he could make the other guy look great, mm-hmm. and even if he lost, it was okay. I mean, look at who he lost to in his first few years. You know, right. what, Hogan and Warrior. That's and then beef, the beefer. The beefer. The beefer. Spread it all over WrestleMania. And, and also, it's. I also think about like the Bobby Heenan pairing him up with Bobby Heenan. Bobby Heenan with him was a lot more like how uh, Paul Heyman would talk for mm-hmm. Brock with Brock not yeah. being there. Yeah. It's yeah. like Bobby Heenan would come out, talk shit. And then Perfect would come out and cut his own promo. Yeah, right, and that's what I like. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it was more of like an elite level guy versus like we need Bobby to talk for him. Sure. Um, so I, I think still, I still think I'm Perfect should have had a run with the title. I think Perfect should have. Yeah. I think Perfect should have shenanigans afoot beat Hogan and then had Warrior be Perfect at six. That's what I think. Should've. I think they would have if um, 
they hadn't just done it with DiBiase, yeah, uh, screwing Hogan, and then they just had the year with Savage. Like mm-hmm. I think they were hesitant to then have like Perfect do like the same yeah. thing. Yeah, um, I think Perfect's time, honestly, and I I know physically he's starting to break down, but I think ninety three was yeah. was the time. Like I think, yeah. I think if he beats. Like I don't want to take away Brett's run, but he beats Yoko at, at the end of nine. Like he comes no, to... Perfect beats Flair. I know oh, they had okay. to get the belt off of Flair to the ear thing, and Perfect yeah. wasn't turned yet. But like, if Perfect beat Flair for the title, and then he puts Brett over, like mm-hmm. that path, like is one that could work. Like because look at their King of the Ring match is great, you know. Yeah. Um. So that you know that's whatever. That's for another day. Um. But I I think we've concluded the mystery here. I, I'm confident that. Mr. Perfect's gonna be Mr. Perfect. I, don't, I know you have the history pulled up. Can you see the first time? Does it say like his debut as Mr. Perfect? I guess we can wrap with that. If we can find that. Because uh, I'm curious how long after this they they change him. I don't know if they actually ever give you a Survivor Cage Series. At Survivor Series, he's Mr. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Um, so on Cage Match, it says his first. The first time they list him as Mr. Perfect, it's actually August 27th, 88. But I think he was still being billed as Mr. Perfect Kurt Hennig. Kurt Hennig. Yeah. And then I think I, – I would say it's probably nine – maybe when he starts when he starts pairing up – no, because at, at, is, he, is he listed as Mr. Perfect at WrestleMania 5 when he fights the – Five Blazer? is where he is – he's got the um, Olympic gear because Jesse says it, remember? He's got yeah. some new gear, Olympic-type gear, and um, that's when he's just Mr. Perfect. I know Survivor Series, he's still kind of Mr. Perfect Kurt Hennig. Yeah. Um, the Rumble, he's got the short tights. I don't remember they call him Kurt Hennig there as well. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I would say by five, he's fully, like, yeah. full on Mr. Perfect. And that's, so my that's, my that's, guess yeah. is my guess is probably January February of '89. But when was... do they start the Mr. Perfect name? I guess what I'm saying. It looks like it's um. Oh, it's '88. It's the first yeah, time so... that he's being yeah, but he's being billed as Kurt Hennig, Mr. Perfect, on August 27th at a house show. Right. His so. debut TV return was September 11th, 88. Yeah. On All American. He beat Ron Ravishad. Uh, so, oh, wow. And then on uh, October event 1st, in the arena. <laughs> October 1st was the first vignette mm. um, where he was repackaged with the name Mr. Perfect and doing the, all, you know, the stuff we all know, the bowling and yeah. all that. Yeah. Um, the first time is Mr. Perfect on TV is the October 4th primetime against Brunzel. So okay. I would say they probably spent August and September like with that gimmick on the house shows yeah. and then introduced it on TV over September into October. So there's no way this is a tryout. I don't buy it. Like this is way too close to that timeline. No, uh, no like, him. And like, and like I said, it just has to do, I mean, once you started seeing the vignettes and everybody's saying that that like shit was legit. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine, like I said, I go back to the conversation where everybody meets up with Vince and Vince <laughs> kind of says, what do you do? I mean, isn't that how we got like Duke the Dumpster Drossy? Yeah, all that. Like, what do you do? I like He's to. Uh, Duke. <laughs> I like to. I like to empty garbage cans. Oh, you're gonna be this guy in you know, a dumpster. So I mean, I would say that uh, I think that the, he was always gonna be perfect. I still, I still, and I know it'll never come out because no one will ever tell the truth. I think Taylor pissed somebody off when he went in for like his talk. Event. Well, that probably led to the Road Rooster. And I mean, that, yeah. again, that's probably a story for another day. But I think. Yeah, maybe he just would have been Terry Taylor, right? And then yeah. they just decided to do the yeah. stupid thing where Bobby's like, I'll give you the dumbest gimmick possible and get you over. <laughs> and that turned into him becoming an actual rooster. It pretty much plagued the rest of his career. One of my favorite um, favorite moments is like in Raw 99 or whatever, when he was there as like an interviewer yeah. and JR was doing the, the pissed off JR stuff. And like, early, he's like, let's go to the rooster. 
like, like just completely emasculated. Like, ah, let's go to the rooster. Idiot interview and stuff. He's like, let's go back and throw it to the rooster. You stupid piece of shit. But I mean, I even love how he comes in with his freaking flare robe. Like oh, he's, yeah. even at the beginning of the video, he's wearing his flare robe, saying Terry or Taylor. Terrific. Like, I don't think he's even up. terrific yet. But... Yeah, shut up. You're not terrific. You suck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this highlight was interviewing the male family at King of Ring '93. Exactly. <laughs> All right, we're out. Cardoso, thanks for watching. Subscribe on YouTube if you're watching this, and continue listening if you're listening to the audio. We're yes. gonna throw it over to someone to talk about another match on the card. Whatever's word, next. Word. Yeah. Whatever's next. Bye. We're out. All right, Hollywood, we're back. Now, uh, what's going on, brother? Rockin' Ryan, how you doing? Just getting back from vacation. Last time I was out here sweating my ass off on my break at work, and today I'm sitting in a rain-filled chair, wetting my ass off. <laughs> well, I but, got your uh, moist. Either way, I got your moist, buddy. <laughs> oh, a lot of people don't like that word, but it doesn't bother me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we are here to talk about ravishing Rick Rude versus Jake the Snake Roberts from Speaking Wrestling of Moist for the ladies. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's for sure, buddy. Yeah. yeah. Maybe perhaps show Roberts. Well, what do you have any fond memories of this feud other than this match? Because this uh this match is actually it's starting off pretty hot here as we're we're live no, it's hot. Yeah, it's hot, man. Yeah, Rock and uh, Ryan. Rock and Ryan, I do that angle is the greatest angle of nineteen eighty eight. I would say Boss Van Hogan, but it started a little too late. Boss Van Hogan wasn't until late October. So that's more into 89 angle. And I wouldn't count Hogan and Andre as the 88 angle. If you would want to do the mega bucks, the mega power shit. But I think this is the real big feud of the year. Jake and Ravishing. And the way they did that on TV, oh, my God. It, it, it was unbelievable. It, it was just we – used, we used to wait as kids. And if somebody – I never missed it. But if one of my friends missed Superstar the Challenge, the thing we would always say, did anything happen? Because some weeks, nothing would happen. They would shoot no angles, nothing would happen. But I guess maybe every every third week, you know, every there would be an angle shot. Anything happen? And I remember somebody asking me, I'm like, hell yeah, something happened. And I was watching with my grandma, and she was just going, when she goes, when Cheryl goes, Jake, Jake <laughs> the Snake Roberts. And then Vince McMahon goes, whoa! I mean, it's just so damn Perfect the way they did that. Jake comes running and they did it perfect that he was in the shower, so that's why he wasn't right out there at the beginning. Comes out and he falls down because he's wet from the shower and mm -hmm. all. They're just stomping a mud hole in him. And I, I mean, I know we're covering. I'm getting off topic. We're covering the WrestleFest here. Oh no, we're but, doing uh, perfect, buddy. I think we're doing a little better than WrestleMania Four with this match right here. What do you think? That what I, that's what I was getting to. Now, I wanted you to give us a little background on the feud and just your feelings on it because historically, WrestleMania 4 really really isn't the vibe that these guys would elicit from a feud aspect because you think of that WrestleMania 4 match as being very, very disappointing. Yeah, well, feud, there was no feud yet at WrestleMania 4. It, was, um, I, it may have been filmed. I'd have to look that up on the history of WWE, but... Um, it didn't air yet, obviously. So there was no feud. They had to do the time limit draw. So that's why they got all the rest holds and stuff and that kind of crap involved in the WrestleMania match. But right here, y'all, you got, you got the heat uh, running right here. And we're going to see the yeah. moon sometime soon, too, I think. <laughs> I, well, that just puts a black cloud on this. So I wanted to kind of have you highlight this feud. Rossi did uh, talked about this angle that you just talked about on the last Chronoso. But, um, how long would these would these guys go on to feud for, 
Hollywood. Uh, okay, they feuded from uh, April of 88 is when it was showing on, on TV. And uh, it would go up until their Saturday night's main event match, which had been October 88. That's where Jake moved on to Andre, where Andre had the heart attack. It was yep. Jake ver- Jake versus Rude. And uh, Andre Andre came down to the second Rude, and Jake threw the snake on Andre. So that turned into the uh, B-show. B ta- uh, B, you know, it was, it was it, Jake and Andre main event at Towns. I mean, you have Savage. You have, you have three Towns. You have Savage somewhere. You have Hogan somewhere. And... Um, Andre and Jake. Uh, so, yeah, so we get April, May, June, July, August, September, October. A seven-month feud here. And uh, there was still a no love, love loss uh, between them, you know, in the Survivor Series into November. So, Bruce you know, that Brood. was – Damn, yeah, yeah. No, that Bruce Brew was 89. Uh, 89? 80, okay. 88, there were no team names. It was uh, Andre and Dino were the uh, co-captains. And Rude was on the team, and the co-captains of the other team were Jake and, and Duggan. Gotcha. In All right, so yeah, put a button on the Duggan Andre mix up too. Yeah, yeah. Andre uh, Andre Duggan. Yeah, another great another great feud of the year that 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 main event. And that's how how hard these guys worked back then. Mm-hmm. Look at all those main, main events going out, going on you know, all around the horn, man. We just covered and on the twenty four inch podcast. Shout out to my good friend Steve Bennett, my tag team partner. We just uh, covered um, a Meadowland show from um, uh, nineteen eighty-eight, September eighty-eight, and uh, it has a Rick Rude, Jake the Stink match on there as well. Steve Bennett, never heard of him. <laughs> Some sportscaster or something like that. I don't know much about that kind of thing. You know, it might be Craig DeGeorge's illegitimate son. We're not sure. <laughs> well, he's probably on a Craig DeGeorge um, fan letter mailing or something like that. Something that like that. Or may have something to do with his daughter. Nice. But all right, well, so we, uh, we're about five minutes in here with the action, we, and we only got about 30 seconds of rest hole. So pretty good scenario, uh, pretty good ratio so far here. Ruben, I, I like that transition spot earlier. It just catches him up here on the match where uh, he went after the snake on the outside that Jake ran to the ring, urgent, urgent to get his hands after Rude, dropped his snake right at the ring. Rude saw the snake. He went out there, baited Jake with the snake, got back in the ring. He's been ever – he's been getting uh, – Getting on him ever since. So uh, that's kind of where we're at here. The ravishing one's doing a number on him. It looks like he wants to make a pair of boots out of uh, Damien. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, sure. yeah. you got to be careful there. But, um, yeah, uh, you know, we got a little bit of rest stuff going on here. You, know, you got to fill the time for the stadium. I also want to say one thing about these WrestleFests. You know, a lot of people seem to think that they did them yearly because of the Coliseum videos. Mm-hmm. But this, this was the only one that was an actual event, WrestleFest 88. Yes. So it's 89, 90, 91, 92. It may, may have went to even 93 were just your regular Coliseum video matches with with stuff from dark matches from the TV tapings or compilation stuff. Compilation stuff. Your regular best of WWF volume, whatever, was what WrestleFest turned into after that. A lot of people, a lot of people don't know that for some reason. I, I wish they kept they kept this uh, going on. But I guess with SummerSlam, you know, have two big big events because yeah, all this really is is it, it, it's uh null and void it's kind of yeah. like two house shows thrown together here yeah uh, okay so you got the two yeah. touring companies yeah and, uh, the two touring br- well, what, what do you ever call them brands whatever you want to call what them. i want to call them yeah tour meet, meet up here for wrestle fest for one big super show so that makes sense exactly yeah yeah i'm not sure if the stadium is still sold out or not uh, a baseball stadium is different of course than a football stadium <clears throat> sometimes you only have you know because of the outfield they're not really showing that that part, but it's still, I still think you got about 30,000 in there. I'd say at least you get in yeah, here in Milwaukee with Wisconsin, home of the Brewers. Yeah, yeah. 
And also, if I'm not wrong, Mr. Baseball himself, Bob Uecker, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think he's still announcing, or he just retired recently. You know, he found out Vanna White wasn't going to be at WrestleFest, so he, uh, he didn't make an appearance. Or he finally found Vance White, you know? Yeah, <laughs> that was good. That was good. That might, that might be the comment of the match right there. Uh, but we're getting more wrestles here. Yeah, uh, we, I, I think I went. I think I went a little too early <laughs> on that one. Yeah, We've yeah. been in wrestles for about ninety seconds yeah. since post the. Uh, I should have knocked out some wood. But then you got like what? What we're not picking up on here is the announcing. You know, you got superstar. Yeah. You know, talking Maybe about. Maybe it's a good thing we're not. Doing. Yeah, look, <laughs> <laughs> actually, I actually like superstar on commentary. I think I I thought he did pretty. Like I sometimes like bad is good to me. You know what I mean? Especially in okay, hindsight. Yeah. And I, I always enjoyed him. And uh, you got Sean Mooney, who was pretty new to play-by-play. Play. And, of course, if Sean Mooney's there, Lord Alpha can't be far away. Uh, you know, those two are like peanut butter and jelly together, brother. So, um, yeah, you got the uh, house show team at the time. They just did a uh, garden show in July, that pair. Sean Mooney, Lord Alpha Hayes, the superstar Billy Graham. This rest hold's still going on, my man. What's All right, so let me here? ask you a question here about Jake. Do you prefer him as a heel or as a babyface? I'm going to go with as a heel, even though more of my Jake was, was a babyface. So let's see. What was it? I got into wrestling in September of 86. He was a heel, <clears throat> was a face by February, and then wasn't a heel again until um, you know February 87. He was a face, and he wasn't a heel again until uh, Early 91, summer, of, summer of 91. Summer of 91. After Earthquake squashed Damien and he got Lucifer, then he started showing up on the Brother Love Show and trying to talk. The Ultimate Warrior show him the dark side, deal with the Undertaker, and he mm-hmm. ends up turning and he ends up turning on the Warrior with all those cool vignettes with the snakes and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I'm sure that's coming up on Pronoso in the future. Maybe I'll cover that few with you. Right, yeah, so. well, that's down the road. And, uh, we're, we're, yeah. we're knee deep into a rest hole of 1988 if you get it. Yeah, but just that little bit of bad guy Jake, I still prefer him as a bad guy. How about you? Uh, I think he's more. I think he has more upside as a bad guy that like he could have made more money, but I think he, uh, he, he does fairly fine. I think he's underrated as a baby face really. Cause everyone, you know, especially us nowadays just looks back so fondly on him it's as a hard. heel with the promos or whatever. Yeah. But, but uh, sure. It was a WWF wise, at least it was a short time. Yeah. As, as a, uh, as a uh, heel, you know, yeah. about, it was about a year at first. And then that second run, summer of 91, then he was, he was gone out right by, away. He was gone yeah. by WrestleMania eight, not even a year, you know? Mm-hmm. So you got about a yeah, year and year and a half, year and a little more than that as a heel in WWF to rest. He was very marketable. So I think that's why they kept him as a baby face. So, uh, so much, you know, the Hasbro's would sell the, the oh, fake sure. snake, the fake snake. The fake snake. I had a fake snake yeah. when I was a kid. Did you have one? I had a yeah. snake? Did you throw it on your parents and stuff when they're sleeping? Scare him. That kind I of wish thing. I still had it. That was, I think it was like fifty bucks. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Jake. Jake was very mar- marketable and like the th- uh, third top tier baby face down after Hogan and Warrior for, for a time there. Yep. So, so Roots, say- at least with you know we we shit on these rest holds and whatnot, but at least there's some serious psychology here. Yeah. Rude constantly attacking the neck for the Root Awakening here. Uh, even when Jake was trying to fire back, Root kept grabbing the neck, trying to hold that. Oh, they, 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 they don't. Yeah, they don't bother me at all. It's just hard to cover to talk about it while we're you know we're yeah. talking about the match and the same thing is going on. But yeah, it makes it, to me it makes more sense than the wrestling now, you know, because yeah. he's, he's working on that that neck hold. But uh, there was some heat at the beginning, and there's the I like a superstar. If you I, don't, I watched this match last night, 
superstar on commentary is all upset about the gyrations there, Rick Rude, because there's children, there's children in the crowd, brother. There's children in the crowd. Then uh, pervert Lord Alfred starts sticking up for Rude. Oh, well, I think they understand, superstar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good kick out there. All right. Rude, Man, Rude, I wish Rude's I could pull off a number. Dropping Man, I wish I could pull off a perm like Rick Rude. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it funny how Heenan, like, just randomly sometimes has a perm? <laughs> and it, then it's just like gone the next taping. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of the guy from the uh, Hangover. I can't remember his name. His name just escaped right now. Alan, of course, right? Was it? Wasn't he interested in getting a perm? <laughs> <laughs> I think he said that right now. I could, I could have made that up. I know he Ooh, had LJ, LJ Enz all over his room, though. I know that for sure. That's for sure. Who let the dogs out? <laughs> uh, Rude still uh, doing a number here. Uh, Roots had, has had control here yeah. for at least six minutes. Uh, it's a little more vibrant at WrestleMania in the match. Um, you know, the feud's also more heated, so we'll give him that, obviously. Is Bobby out there? Because I know he's got the weasel suit match coming up. So I don't think he's I out there. I don't think so. I don't yeah, believe he is. So yeah, he's gearing up in his uh, Andre attire backstage. Even though the Bra- he, co- Andre copied that from Heenan. That was Heenan's attire first. Oh, here Isn't we go. Funny? That's too worse. All right, yeah, now, all right, now the sparks are flying, brother. Yeah, this Jake is uh, a callback to the earlier here in the match. I like that babyface fire from Jake. You don't really see that. Good selling, oh, yeah. too, man. This oh, has yeah. been pretty, pretty decent so far. Structure-wise, it's been fine. Right, like, yeah, look, he's pounding the map. Man. He's pounding the map. He's upset because he, he thought he had control, but then, boom, Rick, the ravishing one just takes it right back. And uh, Rick Rude going to the top rope. Uh, cardinal mistake for the ravishing one. He goes up there with a fist drop every once in a while, but not really a big uh, high flyer type of uh, of a wrestler. Even though he kind of has the body to, uh, for one. <clears throat> but yeah, he really uh, he went to the well earlier, and then he went yeah. to the well a little bit too much there. Yeah, so. yeah, you got that right, Gorilla. Uh oh, Jake backing into the corner there, looking at looking around. He's he, I think he feels Damien. He's getting <laughs> that, you know. Here he comes. Oh yeah. Jake's still selling it, though, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this is for honor of his wife, too. You know, this is just not your regular angle. There's a lady involved. Anytime there's a woman involved, it's gonna, there's going to be more heat there. And I know you'll, you know a lot about that, Rock and Ryan, as do I. And uh, boom, there's Jake with that big great right hand. Great bump by Rude there, man. Yeah. Oh, Rude's a great bumper. Takes a great backdrop. I'm sure we're going to see one of those coming out. Always lands right on his ass. Let's see here. Boom. High, hey, knee. high knee. Let's or, go. I'm sorry. No, knee lift. Knee lift. We're not watching a Brutus the Barber beefcake match. Here. Oh, yeah. Knee. Jake, we both called that, it wrong. That was a knee lift. <laughs> what a maneuver. If we're not yeah, sure, yeah. we're just going to say, yeah. what a maneuver. Yeah, I'm an 80s wrestling fan. I don't I don't have names for moves. <laughs> every, every, <laughs> to me, every flying move is a Huma, Huma Conrada or whatever the hell they call them. Or, 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 moonsault. I go that far. I'm okay with that. Her <laughs> <laughs> Conrada. Speaking Speaking of moonsault, as we as we uh, re- record this, uh, the Bam Bam Whoa. Bigelow dark side of the ring is tonight. Oh, the moon is out. No, oh, as- great, great visual of the blocking there. Here we go short clothesline, yeah, bang. Short arm clothesline. Coming? You know what's coming next when that short arm clothesline hits. Spin it up, baby. The DDT is coming now. Real quick, as we get out of here, I asked you about Jake as a baby or or heel. Do you think Rude could have worked as a baby? Oh boy, you know, I'm gonna bring this to Shawn Michaels. Because oh, okay. I I liked Shawn Michaels as the Rockers, but I you know I was a little kid then, mm-hmm. of course. But I liked oh. him. Oh my goodness, I liked him as a single as a bad guy. But then when they turned him into a good guy and kept the same gimmick, 
the men aren't gonna like the the men aren't gonna like him. The little boys aren't gonna aren't gonna like him. They're gonna think you know it, it, he's a girly. Even though I'm a big fan of hair metal. I don't like that term. It's yep. almost like that. Like it got you know it's cool for guys to like Poison now, but it kind of wasn't back then. You gotcha. know because it's nostalgic now. So no, I I don't think they would have had to change the gimmick up a lot and make maybe maybe the way he was in WCW in in like '92. He shaved the mustache. Maybe yep. he could have pulled off babyface uh, there. Was he babyface in ECW as uh, uh, under a mask? <coughs> uh, I think he was. Then turned or something. Something. Oh, I'm was. starting to got starting full to get of shade of gray. Right ECW there. is full of shades of gray. Yes, it was. It was getting to be that time where it did, yeah, it didn't really matter. The Stone Cold era and stuff like that. Oh, look at but this. But here's Jake. Uh, they better not keep, keep can't put your hands on an official, brother. Got to watch. Oh, good. Rude's head, headed for higher grounds right mm. now. There we go. Just how we started. This ain't done. This ain't done. This feud ain't done. But this no, is a no. pretty good match, buddy. No, no. As we get out of here. Yeah, and then you got the heat here. This is a, they're they're battling it out to the back. Mm -hmm. There you got slam on the floor. Oh my goodness. Yep. Yeah, that's it. No Listen, we came in there. hot and we're going out hot because we're yeah. continuing this feud. Oh yeah, yeah. This yep. one, this one's going to be going on and on. And a lot of them, he brought Cheryl with him. And do you know that they're back together today, Jake and Cheryl? No they were shit. At yeah, they were actually at the '80s wrestling con, Tommy Fierro's '80s wrestling con. I was just at in May, and uh, they made an appearance there together, and they're, they've worked things out. I mean, years had gone by <clears throat> since they were divorced, and now they're back together. Jake I saw together. Jake's one-man show <laughs> with uh, with Jenny and JT and Keithy and Petey uh, and Winston Great. At, Calhoun, at Calhoun's in, in uh, Saugus, Mass, near Boston. Oh, Haystack's Calhoun's. Or that another <laughs> Calhoun's? Yeah. Well, I think we might have ate in a plate that he would have devoured, too. So that's <laughs> kind of fitting. Yeah, I saw the show uh, as well in, uh, I think, 2018 in Dingbats in Clifton, New Jersey. Same cadence, probably. It was a pretty yeah. good show. Yeah, he told a funny Salvatore Belomo story that it won't tell on air. Maybe, maybe another time. I don't know if I feel comfortable telling it anywhere, to be honest with you. <laughs> but Dave, but here we go. We, we got a we got a double count out here. We got the double count out. I love how Rude tried running in the ring and claiming the victory. Here comes the snake. See you later, Jake. I mean, see you later, Rude. As they uh, just uh, covers the snake. Oh no, he's gonna touch him. Oh, oh, he's got got the snake all over him. Oh, wow, oh the crowd crowd going wild as well. Yep. You got it for a big show like this with uh, 30, 35,000 people in attendance. You got you got to have Damien. Uh, Damien choking the life out of the ravishing one. Yeah. Oh, my yeah, goodness. He's telling us. Rude's been on his yeah, game yeah, tonight, man. Rude's been in his, as the kids would say, Rude's yeah. been in his bag, man. He is in his bag, man. Wow, wow, wow. Look at that. <clears throat> man, uh, he got away from him, unlike Andre will in a, a few months from now. Uh, no heart attack for ravishing. He's in a little better <laughs> shape than Andre. But, um, yeah, I don't know if I ever saw Damien uh, wrapped around somebody that tightly no, it looked it looked like a weird <laughs> angle but anyways dave as we get out of here as this match is closing up you know i don't know if you're a big star rating guy but i'm gonna go three stars this was a legit good match despite you know the double count out finish that's common for this era three stars maybe even a little more if i don't I'm yeah i'll go you, how about you do three other three and a half because <laughs> uh yeah you, you protect you got both guys protected you know yep. they may even announce that whatever arena the mecca in milwaukee or is it the bradley center to come back with this match probably the next month. We don't hear it on the broadcast, but I'm sure they're coming back with it with Cheryl in Jake's corner. That's how they would do it. So uh, then Jake Jake would win the rematch. So you'd have like a schmaz here. Then they'd come back with the match and have, and have Jake go over. 
So if 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 you look it up, I'm sure in Milwaukee, not in the stadium, but in Milwaukee somewhere, they probably have a rematch. Cool. All right, Hollywood. So as we get out of here, should we continue our conversation and play it on air like we did last <laughs> time? <laughs> yeah, I kind of thought that was kind of cool. It was like it was kind of raw. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like a band's first album. Like you know, I only let people. That, I'm not one of those people. Like some of those people say, I like that album because it's so raw before they went commercial and everything. That that's what it was when I was last time. I think rock and ride. Yeah. <laughs> but as as who Haku comes out of here, let's go pass it along. As King Haku comes on comes on out here, let, let's let's pass this along to Jake. Jake's gonna take over for the next match here, Hollywood. So uh, we'll catch you All on right, the Jake. next one, pal. Take care. Cardoso listeners, Jake here, working enhancement duty, as I've kind of picked up as my role in these. Uh, WrestleFest 88, I am going to be talking about Sam Houston versus Haku, specifically in this time frame. King Haku. Got the crown, got the regal music. Uh, Sam Houston, uh, first president of the Texas Republic. Oh, wait, wrong. Sam Houston. The Sam Houston, the wrestler, uh, relative of Jake Roberts. He's to be facing Haku. You can probably guess how this one's going to go, but uh, get a, a quick pace to start uh double cross body into each other they're working out i like this they got there's some energy to this more than what you would expect for what ends up being kind of glorified enhancement match here uh haku slugging away i thought throughout this whole match haku has a um a pretty nice oomph on all of his offense like all of his strikes look really good he he's with it i'm, I'm a haku guy i know sometimes he gets kind of maybe people feel he's a little bit overrated but i feel like these are situations where he shines like maybe in these you know, maybe like in house shows and that sort of thing. Maybe you might see these more um, uh, enthusiastic performances than maybe you'd expect. So, um, and he's good here. Like I said, the strikes are good. Um, but Houston, he, he's scrappy here. I like uh, Lord Al says that despite his uh, slender physique, he has a uh, deceptive strength because due to his um, quote sinew strength. So, um, some very taut, uh, strong sinews in Sam Houston here. Uh, so they kind of go back and forth on that. Haku ends up taking over, hits some martial arts strikes. Um, I feel like watching this, uh, Haku in the singles match, I can't help but think of um, current day Solo. Like you could see the Haku in Solo Sokoa nowadays. Um, so that was kind of a fun thing to notice in this. But uh, you know, they do, they, there's a few rest holds in here, but they like don't overstay their welcome. Like um, Tim Houston works kind of an arm bar, arm holds for a little while. Haku gets the nerve lock, but he only does it for like 20 seconds. So it doesn't drag too much it's more just like so you have a couple of walls in between like i said the pace is the pace is pretty up there um uh but we get towards the finish where matches i would say about five four or five minutes real quick like i said glorified squash match here haku hits a nice sidekick lays it right in and then hits a running splash gets some pretty good height on that and uh takes sam houston down pretty easily so yeah, you know, not much to it. It's a, it's kind of a buffer match in this, uh, on this longer show. You know, you weren't expecting Sam Houston Haku to go 20 minutes. I don't think Sam Houston had much of a shot in this one. But for what it was looking to accomplish, I thought Haku looked good. Sam Houston was scrappy. You know, you get the king to come out, do his thing. So for like a five-minute little um, in-between match on this, I thought it was better than expected. Like a, a little bit more entertaining than a uh, typical squash match. So... A lot of fun. Thanks for listening. Uh, keep listening here to Cronoso as we'll continue some probably some more notable matches on this show. But if you want to hear me, you can catch me on the Ruthlessly Aggressive podcast as well as the new 
a podcast linking up luchas covering lucha underground uh, hosted by logan crossan so i'm on there every other episode so you can check that both those shows are on the north south connection so see you then This is Tim Slavka of Cronoso Monthly. I get the privilege of giving you the Ultimate Warrior versus Bobby the Brain Heaton in sort of a weasel suit match from WrestleFest 1988. What a fun match. Uh, the, the recording that I'm watching on is actually a jump cut to Warriors. It kind of misses uh, his entrance. So, again, uh, this is kind of right around the time his entrance was just starting to take off with the running down the ring and getting the crowd pumped up. So, uh, sucks we missed it, but it sometimes happens. Warrior brings a weasel suit with him. Uh, it's great. He kind of he runs out of the ring, and then <laughs> Warrior jumps and stomps on it. Uh, Lord Alfred Hayes really struggles this match, but he is also a, quite a joy on this match. Like from a pure in ring st- style, you know, you'd be so annoyed at Lord Alfred Hayes. Uh, but from an entertainment, which this kind of is a comedy entertainment match. Um, Hayes is pretty funny on this. He, they try. Sean Moody tries to get him to explain how the match came about, and Lord Elfrey Hayes really can't do it. So, uh, the match starts. Uh, you know, five minute match, but it's all Bobby Heaton installing. Uh, he keeps running around the ring, kind of looking for for Warrior. Keeps kind of turning his back side to side, and a really cool move as the camera pans away. Heaton turns the corner, and there is Warrior just attack him. Uh, they make it as they're doing that. Also, they make a fun of a couple jokes about how. Heenan's been putting on a couple extra pounds and how he's scared of, of Warrior. Uh, you know, Heenan's got his Andre the Giant suit on and he's, you know, maybe not in the best shape, so pretty funny. Uh, huge pop for when Warrior finally gets Bobby Heenan and really takes it over. We get a ton of brudda from the superstar Billy Graham during this throughout. It's really kind of annoying. Uh, Warrior dominates the first minute of this match. Uh, just kind of standard, uh, you know, punches. Uh, going into the turnbuckle spot. So Warrior does something where he takes Heenan's head into three times each turnbuckle. And finally, in the third turnbuckle, Heenan grabs something of his tights. I, I couldn't really tell what it was, and the guys couldn't lose it. But he has no, multiple shots to the throat of the Warrior. Really gets him down. But then Heenan, as the ref's kind of checking for it, Heenan puts it in his boots. And then all of a sudden, he kind of takes it out again and drops it or loses it. Uh, and he's running around <laughs> looking for it. Uh, and, and that is when Warrior kind of takes over. So he didn't, you know, does his sh- chicanery, uh, chicanery during the match, and uh, starts taking Warrior down a little bit. But in the end, Warrior is just too much for him. It's kind of interesting that his Bobby also during the match, superstar Billy Graham goes to talk to Sean Mooney and calls him Sean Penn instead. Really funny stuff that both uh, brother uh, uh, Billy Graham and Lord Alpha has really struggled with this match. So after after. Uh, Heenan loses the shiv or whatever he had in his throat, in his boots. Uh, Warrior quickly takes over. You know, he's not got, you know, no gorilla press, no big body slam, no uh, splash. Uh, Instead, he puts Bobby Heenan in in a sleeper hold and knocks him out, which makes sense when we talk about the second half of this match. Uh, Probably the only, (laughs) I wonder about the only big television uh, submission victory for the Warrior, but he gets him, he knocks him out. and so Bobby Heenan's uh, out, out cold. Uh, they, the guys on commentary joke about how Bobby the Brain really went out quickly from the sleeper. Like normally it doesn't take that or takes a lot longer for knocking someone out, but Bobby the Heenan couldn't even last, uh, you know, more than a minute. Uh, so uh, as Heenan's passed on the ground, the warrior starts slowly putting him in the weasel suit. Really funny stuff. Uh, 
<laughs> he just, uh, so, you know, it takes him a couple of minutes to get his arms and his legs in. And finally he wakes up, he and warrior leaves. I don't think his music plays. And again, he doesn't run out the same energy like that we would see later 89, later 90. So warrior kind of disappears and who wakes up in the ring alone, dressed in the weasel suit, huge chance and la and of chance of weasel. Once weasel wakes up, he does a great job looking at his hand and seeing the weasel hand. He does a great job spinning around and falling down, chasing his tail, Crowd is loving this. Lord Alfred Hayes is losing his mind, really giggling throughout the whole tab. I love how Bobby Heenan really gives it all. He falls. He's chasing his tail. He's joking around. Really good stuff. It's kind of weird to look now what the Warrior becomes and think of him in this comedy match, but probably at the time was the right right spot for him. Heenan's such a great foil for him. He's able to look dominant. Uh, he's kind of getting his edge over Heenan. We know after Warrior takes the Intercontinental title, his whole entire time uh, for the next really two years up till he meets Hogan is going to be dealing with the Heenan family. So it sets up a feud that Warrior has an edge and Heenan knows he has to bring in the big dogs to to take out Warrior. So I think a really fun match. I think a good comedy spot in WrestleFest, you know, in, in this in this entire uh you know, thing maybe a little bit out of place. And again, looking back, you think it's kind of silly that Warrior would be in this. But at that time, he hadn't really jumped up or, you know, he hadn't moved up to the Intercontinental title match. So I think it's a good spot for him. We'll see Warrior in a similar situation when he gets with Andre the Giant later in 88. So I, I, I think it's fine for what it is, but uh, fun match. I really enjoyed it. The commentary, I thought, again, if it was you're asking for in-ring commentary, it's one of the worst of all time. But from a just pure comedy standpoint and a break for the action, this was a, a pretty good A, B-plus type show. So, like I said, my name is Tim Slomka on Chronosome Monthly. I am... Uh, every other Tuesday on the North-South Connection doing New Gen Mission podcast with JP, Justin Pratt. We're doing Brent Shaw Survivor Series 92 to Brent Shaw Survivor Series 97, looking at uh, weekly TV, superstars, Raws, and then the and then also the, and the pay-per-views that come in between. We uh, and some other fun stuff along the way. Uh, but we are we've just covered WrestleMania 10 a couple weeks ago. Great show! I really like everyone to check it out. And if you uh, and then also the weekly TV right now, we're going through King of the Ring qualifying matches, which is awesome time frame. Uh, and the you know the doldrums of the old you know 88, 90, 99, 1, 92, 94 has a lot of fun with the King of the Ring qualifying. You know, lifting up the summer right right as we get into the King of the Ring with Owen Hart and our friend Art Donovan. So hope you can check us out on the North South Connection Listen Rate Review, and we'll see you again in a few weeks on Cardoso Monthly. Thanks again. Cardoso listeners and viewers. Crosland, and we are breaking down the Bulldogs versus Demolition from WrestleFest 88. <laughs> How are yes, you doing, Logan? I'm doing great. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. I can actually hear the match going on in my headset. It's very distracting, but I'm going to keep talking. <laughs> um, have you ever seen WrestleFest before? I have never seen WrestleFest before, so this is a brand new thing to me. Um, All right. But we are coming uh, live from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. That's where this show is taking place. Oh, nice. I would not have guessed that. July 31st, 1988. So this is pretty much right before SummerSlam. I don't remember the date of SummerSlam that year, but um, yeah. I guess this is where the Brewers play, because it's obviously a baseball stadium. So It is. I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. This is a thing they did a lot in the early 80s. They would do like a lot of Shea Stadium shows. Um, I didn't know that. Mets used to play. Yeah, that's where um, I think Andre, Andre faced like a boxer, the guy that they kind of based Rocky off of, uh, mm. the real guy. 
Um, they had like a boxer versus wrestler match in Shea Stadium, but that, that was one of their big venues uh, way back in the early 80s, late 70s. So um, Bruno had a lot of matches there. So once again, we're doing our live watch gimmick. So um, mm-hmm. uh, it's the way yeah. to go. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about uh, this gear on Demolition. Yeah. S&M gear. You like it? Um, <laughs> is it okay if I say yes? <laughs> totally. You're into what you're into, man. It's, All uh, right. <laughs> it is a whole look, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Leather face covering, uh, stud, uh, studded on the top. Yeah, they had the whole gimp thing going. So Yeah, it is hot, right? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> but they had uh they had just won the tag titles at WrestleMania from Strike Force, so mm. this is uh this is one of their first big defenses, I guess. You gotta love a mask and the face paint, uh, in combination. It's amazing it didn't smear more. I know, I was just wondering like, how do they do that? I feel like for the most part, uh when I've seen them the face paint's usually pretty well intact when they come out. Mm-hmm. It must not be very uh, very tight. Yeah, uh, it looked a little mask, loose. So. Yeah, cause, Cause I mean, man, how are you breathing under that thing? <laughs> and they're still managed by Master Fuji at this point, so I don't really quite know what he's a master of, because he's probably one of the worst uh, managers of all time. The Bulldogs look good, though. I like mm-hmm. the white. Mm-hmm. I don't know what kind of shape uh, Dynamite Kid is in at this point, but uh, I'm pretty sure from like '86 forward, he's a uh, Pretty fucked up. Uh, anytime they have a wrestling right? match, yeah, his uh, I think his back, uh, his back gets pretty broken up uh, somewhere in the this year, and he's hitting pretty rough shape. So he's getting fucked all the time on crack. I noticed this uh, recording was like seventeen hours long. I don't know how long is this show. <laughs> Um, this video that we found on Facebook is a uh, five hours and some minutes. Uh, so I, I don't really think that's how long the actual show is. Okay, uh, I good. think, a, I think a lot of these matches are actually dark matches. Um, I don't think, I think like four of them are dark matches, but, uh, Ryan being the psychopath that he is included all of them. So, uh, all hear, of them. you will hear about from about every, uh, all the 16 or 14 or 15 or 16 matches that are on this card. So. So this will be a five-hour podcast. Uh, maybe. <laughs> and we're coming in, and the yeah, we're like we're like four next hours to and fifty-eight <laughs> minutes. So nobody's listening or watching. Uh, I don't know. We, watching might get us some looks. <laughs> yeah, we might get some YouTube views. Yeah. Even though I have a face for radio, so this is a. You're doing well. Don't worry. This might be a struggle for some people, especially with my new dude. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of struggling, this match. Yeah, it's been all right so far. Yeah. It's amazing how athletic uh, Davy Boy still is. He really point. is, yeah. Because he was doing some pretty crazy uh, oh. arm bar reversals there. Oh, God. That was a sick elbow. That's where the back went out. He just destroyed it. I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> broke his back doing a fucking elbow drop. <laughs> And all these clubs and power slams. Oh, those are... The moves seem... I don't know. Maybe it's because they're wearing the leather gimp outfit. Um, overly sexual to me. Oh. But all of wrestling feels overly sexual to me. But yeah, this I got a real vibe. I was going to say, I feel like 
professional wrestling in itself is just inherently sexual for some reason. Right? So. It's, I mean, that's probably why we like it, right? I mean, probably a little bit. <laughs> Half naked people wrestling around all the time. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's not gonna, it's not gonna be for the for everyone. Just yeah, for, for the people. for the purest in life. Yes, right. <laughs> all those Bible thumpers. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Doing uh, what is this? He's doing the uh, the the very famed uh, Mr. Fuji move, the cravat hold. Cravat hold. Okay, gotcha. Like a nerve in the yeah, neck. It's like, a, sort it's of like thing. a neck neck shoulder nerve kind okay. of thing. So, well, uh, like that, that went well. That was a uh, that was brought in, or uh, Yokozuna was famous for using that hold. Not to much success, but he uh, that was how he kind of. Got got from being very gassed because he was a large mm. individual, so he yeah. gassed pretty quick. So he would to slow down a little bit. He would go for the so you know. Yeah, this match has been all right so far. Yeah, um, they keep their tag some quick tags mm-hmm. on the hillside, keeping them from that? looking too blown up because they look <laughs> large. <laughs> um. How do you feel about uh, Demolition? Have you seen much of their stuff? Yeah, I've seen a decent amount. Um, They always, I mean, I like them. Mm -hmm. Um, They were always sort of wild, I felt like. Um, Mm -hmm. Did a bunch of crazy shit, which I like. Yeah. Because everybody, I mean, back in the 80s, everybody called them a ripoff of the Road Warriors. But I think they're different enough, and I think their style's different enough to where that was kind of over over talked about and kind of a little bit too much i mean they've got the face paint and all the stuff mm-hmm. but i think they distinguish themselves enough and i think they're a really good team um i wish they could have uh wrestled a little bit longer because like really when the road warriors come in uh uh axe has the like uh allergic reaction to shellfish or some shit like that and he has to it, like causes like a heart issue or something and like shoot yeah <laughs> Okay. <laughs> well, it, it's um, kind of it, it was kind of an excuse to I think get rid of him because he was kind of old. Oh, okay. Um, and they wanted to bring oh. in Crush to kind of hit, put him with Smash. But... Crush. How you Which feel Crush, about Crush is fine too. I, yeah. I like Crush. I, I like really... Crush too. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like he's his his mic skills are pretty bad in mm-hmm. in the long run, I guess. But I thought he was an opposing guy. I thought he was. I like this mm-hmm. Yeah, he was a guy they needed at, in that period of '93 because he was a face that I think was about as over as pretty much anybody except probably Brett at the time. So, um, I always say he should have gotten the Lex Luger uh, push, the <laughs> All American guy from Hawaii. <laughs> Got a cover finally. Pick uh, out oh Jesus. <laughs> oh. Now a tag. Dynamite back in. All right. He hit him with the softest right hand yeah. I think I've ever seen. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, demolition always in. felt like stiff to me, you know? Like Oh yeah, there's some hard yeah. hitting mofos for sure. Especially uh X. Right. X was kind of from that older generation and he, he would fuck you up pretty quick. The Bulldogs are the same way too. Yeah, they are. I was thinking, mm-hmm. not not far off. Yeah. 
Oh, nice. Oh, oh fuck. <laughs> that was sick. That was a cool move. I hope that was their that was, finisher. What was that called? A, a throwing no headbutt? Yeah, he like did a uh, gorilla press Pressed and him. Threw, him, threw him off into the flying headbutt. So. Jesus. Oh, God, he nailed him with the cane. Fucking Fuji. You dumb bastard. And the demos were Demos got it. That was fun. Yeah, that was really fun. I knew it would be. I I, I like the Bulldogs and Demolition, so I, I, I knew it would uh, at least be a pretty solid match. Um, Big old Haas battle, really. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I've never really seen the rest of this, but I looked up some reviews, and this seemed to be the uh, match of the night. So I, I think... It's like a sixteen match card, so I don't I don't think anything gets like a lot of time. So um I think that I mean this not... didn't get much time. What was it, seven minutes? It was um, like seven or eight minutes, yeah. yeah so I, mean, I feel like if they had ten, twelve, but I mean you're at the end of this fucking long ass show, so <laughs> why are you gonna do that? But yeah. Yeah, there's actually three matches after us. Um uh, I'm sure the next match Oh my match, god, uh, really? Yeah. Dino Bravo versus Ken Patera. Well, <laughs> All right, well, enjoy that. Uh, I can't wait to hear whatever somebody is talking about that. Um, I was going to see if there was any uh, post-match fuckery, but it doesn't look like it. Just doing the yeah, replay. Just some, just some replays. And the uh, I, I don't know if this was like the shoot commentary team for this, but it was a uh, whatever version of this show this is. It's Sean Mooney, Lord Alfred Hayes, and superstar Billy Graham. So we should My be God. very glad uh, that we cannot hear the comments. Yes, I am very happy about be like, a, oh, hey, brother. What's up, brother? <laughs> oh, my God, brother. So, you know. All right. Well, uh, plug your plug your shit quick. Okay. <laughs> um, here on uh, the North-South Connection, we have linking up luchas. Uh uh, we've recorded the first episode and uh, the second episode. It should be coming out pretty soon with you, me, and Jake. So check that out. Yeah, I'm excited. Excited for that show. Um, love a new show. And uh, speaking of shows, you can hear mine on Wednesdays on the North South Connection. Uh, lots of cool stuff coming up for me. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Jenny Position and enjoy the rest of the show. Enjoy Campatera and Dino Bravo. Sorry about it. Well, after that tag team insanity, we're going to have a match with two dudes who modern wrestling fans may know more for their criminal activity outside the ring. One dude for smuggling cigarettes for the Canadian Mafia, uh, if that's what they call it up there, and one dude for making a really bad decision late one night at a McDonald's, which I think we all have uh, done. And they both had kind of similar careers, uh, flip-flop careers, if you uh, if you will. Ken Patera, who was a bad guy with bleached blonde hair and was a real strong man, billed as the world's strongest man, had a really interesting career up until he, uh, you know, threw a boulder through a McDonald's window late at night with Mr. Saito and went to jail for a few years, which pretty much derailed his career in the WWF. He was uh, fighting Hulk Hogan beforehand and then and didn't have the greatest career when he came back in 1987. Here he's fighting Dino Bravo, who when he came back to the WWF in 1986, now had bleach blonde hair and was dubbed and dubbed himself the world's strongest man, so he kind of stole Patera's gimmick. It took a while to finally meet up, but here we go. Kind of a battle for world's strongest man supremacy, and uh, with 
that context, a really cool matchup. So let's, uh, let's check it out. Bravo struts down the aisle solo style with his fancy Florida jacket. Bravo coming out to the song La Marseillaise. Uh, <laughs> I apologize to any French-speaking person for that pronunciation, which is the French national anthem. Bravo yells a little bit at Mel Phillips here. It's pretty cool. Two criminals having a little chatsky. We then hear the sound of Ken Patera's theme, which is the Olympic hymn uh, from the Olympics, uh, which was uh, written by Richard Strauss uh, many, many years ago. But this is a most likely the more famous version by John Williams, uh, Oscar winner for uh, many scores, uh, most famously the uh, guy who wrote the theme to Star Wars. The former Olympic great Ken Patera struts down the aisle himself in a very uh, Kurt Angle-esque Singlet and attacks Bravo before the bell even rings. Runs right at him and busts him in the face a couple times with a punch. Gives a huge hip toss to Bravo with Bravo still having his giant arm stuck in his ring jacket. And Patera is wrecking Bravo with some elbows to the back of the neck. Patera takes Bravo's jacket and chokes the fuck out of him over the over the ropes uh, with Bravo's head dangling outside. Hebner gives a little leeway there, doesn't disqualify Patera. Patera hits a huge back body drop. These are some thick fucking boys here, and they are laying in some punches and elbows to the top of the head. Bravo gets knocked out and just has some pretty cool agility because he leaps right back up to the apron. Patera catches him. Before he could get back in, bends Bravo's back and shoulders over the top rope and gives some big clubbing uh, forearms to Bravo's chest, something you would see Sheamus do now. Pulls Bravo back into the ring and gets a two count only as Bravo sneaks the fuck out of the ring to try to catch his breath. He has not got a piece of offense in here. Patera runs right out there after him after Hebner Hebner tries to keep him from getting out there and uh, lays a couple hits in there and then throws Bravo back into the ring. Patera whips Bravo into the ropes, but Bravo cuts Patera off here with a big kick right to the face. Picks Patera up in a body slam and then a reverse atomic drop. Takes Patera down and Bravo winds up with a big flying leap elbow drop to Patera's chest. Kind of how Abdul the Butcher would finish people or Dusty Rhodes. Doesn't get a pin but then just goes and chokes the shit out of Patera for a little while here. Lays in some big boots and then some really heavy knees right into the chest and abdomen of Patera. Patera here has to take a patter and get the hell out of the ring because he's getting wrecked. A uh, young teenage boy decides to pat Ken Patera on the back here, and uh, maybe that's just what Ken needed to, uh, <laughs> to come back in this match. Ken's by the ring. He's not even trying to get in the ring, and Bravo sneaks uh, a bootski right to the side of Patera's face. Bravo properly getting booed by the fans here. Patera here, way more tan than he was back when he was younger. Kind of, once again, switching up roles here as uh, Patera is tanned up with dark hair. Bravo's kind of pale with uh, blonde hair. Bravo still has control, and he's laying some uh, some chopskis right into Patera's chest in the corner. Goes to whip Patera into the other corner, but Patera reverses it. When Bravo bump bounces off, Patera hits a nice stiff clothesline that Bravo uh, flops right to the ground. Patera is... Taunting him, screaming, get up, boy. Bravo backs up a little bit. Patera with a boot to the gut. Couple punch skis. And as Bravo whips him in and as Bravo bounces off, he hits a reverse elbow and then drops an elbow. Gets two on Bravo. So big boys whacking each other. Really cool front face lock kind of into a small package by Patera that was really fucking neat, man. I I don't know how often I've ever seen that. Bravo backs into the corner. Patera does the Cody Rhodes kind of weird walk and, uh... Patera hits Bravo on the top of the head with an elbow, whips Bravo into the corner. Patera runs full speed, Bravo moves, and Bravo hits a vicious, vicious lariat. Stan Hansen style right to Patera, knocks the fucking shit out of him, 
picks up Patera, who is wobbly, and nails the side slam for the pin. That is Bravo's finisher. That clothesline was sick. <laughs> Three count fucking killed Patera here with that clothesline. Holy shit. The side slam looks great. Crushing Patera, and he gets the win. Quick match. Just pure power. Uh, never really slowed down for a second. And, I mean, what the fuck else do you want, man? This is a Haas fight and a half. The kind of match that, uh, you know, is just perfect. <laughs> what do you want this match to be? It is three minutes of two huge dudes with a kind of a built-in backstory of uh, the new guy and the old guy, and they lay some fucking sick shots in it on each other, and it's three minutes. It's never boring. I mean, how do you rate a match like this other than saying it did exactly what it wanted to do? Fucking four stars. <laughs> Perfect match. <laughs> Perfect big boy match, dude. Especially this far into the card after that crazy tag match with the main event to follow. This was, uh, this was sick. This was great, man. Like I said, it really seemed like Patera had a lot of potential, and, and the WWF was really high in him. But him disappearing when he disappeared and coming back to a landscape that had completely changed, you know? He kind of missed the early WrestleMania era of WWF when he was in jail, and I think, uh, I think it kind of kind of hurt him. Kind of derailed his career, and he really never recovered, and uh, he really does not have much time in uh, the WWF after this, which we're going to chronicle. This match was fun as fuck, man. My name is Rocco Martone, and I say, check it out. Hello, Cronoso. I am Ryan Everett, and I am here to discuss the main event of WrestleFest. Hulk Hogan taking on his arch-rival at this point, Andre the Giant, inside a 15-foot-high steel cage. Now, obviously, I didn't see this live. Well, only the 26,000 people there saw it live, but I wasn't watching live at the time. I, w- I would have been two years old, but I do remember tape... Uh, when I was five or six and started renting all the videos that was possible at my local video village was the place to go for the wrestling video. Blockbuster didn't have as good a selection for a few years. But at Video Village, they had this, and I picked it out, and, you know, my dad was there. He was just like, yeah, pick a video, whatever. And I said, it's Andre the Giant versus Hulk Hogan in the steel cage. And my dad was like, oh, I hope Hulk throws Andre right through the cage. And, you know, at this point, my dad didn't care about wrestling. He kind of would try and humor me. And he tried, you know, humoring his six-year-old son. And I quickly pointed out to him that, no, Dad, Hulk better not throw Andre through the cage because then he'd lose because cage matches, first person to hit the arena floor rules. I was clearly, I was just a WWF fan at the time. I did not know about other ways cage matches could end. Revet, it was unique to the WWF for escape the cage to be the winning the way to win but so we did but that was the main event it's the poster of the videotape it's very well advertised and this is kind of the end of the hulk andre feud i mean you could say it goes through SummerSlam, but really this is their one of their last one-on-one encounters uh, they do wrestle a few more times, mainly if they were going to a new market. Like in Greensboro, they wrestled, and that was, yeah, that was in August. Let me see. I don't see any other Hulk versus Andre. Oh, and then in later in 88, when it's uh, their first show in Atlanta at the... Omni, they tried that. But other than that, this is pretty much it for their 
one-on-one -on -one matches. And this is Hulk's first match back since uh, WrestleMania. Well, he had one random match in April against Boris Zukov, but that was, as you would expect, that's like a two-minute match. But this, is, So this is his first actual comeback, you know, his match back after filming on No Holds Barred and stuff. He's back on the road pretty regularly, it looks like, after this. And... So the match starts, and a nice little clip is that it goes to hear Dino Bravo's music as they transition into the Andre in the walking down to the cage, which is nice, you know. Andre, a Frenchman himself, he would have liked that to be his theme music, I'm sure, but he still has the classic no music Andre. And Andre's standing in the cage, and the cage, I'm pretty sure it was their typical blue bar cage, but it just looks smaller with Andre in it. Like, he is just so big that it looks like it's maybe a foot above the top of the cage is maybe like a foot above his head and that very uh it just shows how huge andre was so hulk comes out and he's wearing you know the the red hulkamania shirt which is kind of unusual at this time i thought from here on out he was always yellow on yellow but i guess you know this was maybe Still getting back in the gear. I think he did wear it a little bit here in 88. I'm remembering the, uh, well, at WrestleMania 4 when he comes out, he's shirtless, you know, because he was probably trying to put the moves on Liz in the locker room, but regardless. So he comes out, though, with the red Hulkamania shirt, and right away, Andre's out of his, as soon, as soon as he comes in the ring, choking him out, starts choking him with the hands, then he rips the shirt off, or Hogan had ripped the shirt off, so then Andre picks up the shirt, though, and starts choking him with that. Hulk fights back, he gets the shirt, he chokes Andre, pounds away in the corner. Uh, at this point, Lord Alfred asks Sean Moody to explain the rules, and superstar Billy Graham tells him he did a great job explaining the rules, just to, you can either go out through the cage door or over the top. Andre continued, they're really just fighting over who's choking the other person with the shirt at this point. And eventually Andre gets it and actually ties Hogan up in with his shirt to the to the cage. And he is chopping him. And after a few chop, chops, Irish starts laughing. He's, very, he's having the time of his life just tying Hulk Hogan to a cage and chopping him. It's really, it brings Andre a lot of joy. He starts to go to the door. Hogan jumps and grabs his leg. Hulk kicks Andre down, like kind of trips him up by the door, and then kind of keeps kicking him into the cage, trying to choke him out. Uh, Andre tries to get a bear hug, but he's on his knees, so Hogan's able to pound out of that and actually goes up, tries to climb the cage. Andre stops him around the second rope, though, and knocks him down. And then he drops just a big elbow, and it looks like he drove his elbow into him. Andre is working very, very viciously throughout the whole match. He's taking his shots. Looks like he's enjoying it also. Uh, Andre hits some headbutts and goes towards the door again, but this time Hulk stops him, and as he stops him, Andre starts undoing the turnbuckle, the pad on the turnbuckle. So Hulk... They kind of get into, like, as he's doing this, they have Hogan's kind of choking him, kind of 
pushing him into the cage. Nothing, not a lot of action right there. Here we see a shot of Bobby Heenan at ringside, and I knew he was there, but I forgot that he had wrestled earlier. So he's wearing his the, the classic Bobby Heenan jacket with just his ring tights underneath, which is kind of a funny visual, especially in the outdoor stadium. So Andre eventually takes Hogan and throws him into the uncovered steel pad by the turnbuckle. And then he starts biting at Hogan, and Hogan is bloodied. And it's not, it at first it looks good, but then it's clearly not a deep cut or anything because it fades away pretty quickly. Andre goes for the do- door. Sean Mooney asks if Hulk Hogan can even see with all the blood running down his face, and it's not quite that dramatic, I would say. No offense to Hogan, but it's not. It's not very high on the Muda scale. Let's just put it that way. Andre stop, or Hogan stops him though as he's going for the door, drags him back in. He hits a big clothesline that staggers Andre, and then he. I was kind of expecting, you know, the big boot and maybe even a slam, but no, he just kind of punches Andre, and Andre falls down, and then he hits the leg drop, and he starts climbing for the cage, over the cage, and Heenan runs in. And stops Hogan as he climbs, and he's hitting him. He's got some, it looks like the old uh, taped up brass knuckles that they would use kind of at this time. And he's hitting Hogan in the ribs, but Hogan just kind of brushes it off, comes down from the ropes, and knocks Heenan down. But as he does this, Andre the Giant actually starts to climb the cage. He gets to like the second rope, and gets his foot on the top rope, but he doesn't even get up there. And Hogan comes over he he's now has the brass knuckles he hits andre like twice in the ribs with it andre falls in between the cage and the ropes and then hogan hits him again in the head and this time uh andre is tied up in the ropes as he usually is but facing the crowd in between the cage and the ring which is kind of a neat visual different look than he usually has uh hulk of course a helpless manager picks up Bobby Heenan again and whips him into the cage and then climbs over gets the win and it's about it was a 10 minute match so about what you'd expect from these two pretty good uh not a lot of uh varied moveset I would say like even less than their two Wrestlemania matches it's a lot of just Punching, kicking, choking. But it gets over, you know, it's the end of their feud. It's Andre Hogan, you know, Andre did steal the belt from him. But now Hogan at least gets this piece of revenge, at least, you know. And he would get more at SummerSlam. You know, this is the big one. with This was his personal vendetta with Andre the Giant. So this ends it. Hulk just does some quick posing at ringside. He doesn't. You know, I was expecting him to come in, knock out Heenan and Andre again, and do the posing in the ring. But no, he just keeps it to the to the outside. Some there's some dudes in muscle shirts in like the second row that are loving it and posing alongside with him in a nice little visual. And then that's it. We wrap up the tape. We go up to Lord L, Superstar, and Sean Mooney on a very green screened. Uh, County Stadium in Milwaukee, unless they are just hovering above the stadium and are like 80 feet tall as they would have to be. 
But no, I like this match. It's, you know, I would say three stars, I guess. It's probably, I mean, if you're ranking them, three has to go first. And then maybe the main event just because of the shock ending. And then I would say this and then WrestleMania 4. WrestleMania 4 is as memorable as it is for breaking the... The tape's in half. I love how it's a five-minute match that they cut into the middle of. And during during a nerve hold, the most scintillating move that will make you turn to a new VHS tape. But no, yeah, this is a good match. I like it. Steel Cage, WrestleFest, that's it. Hope you enjoy it. And we'll talk to you next time. All right, everyone, that is it for this episode of Cronoso Monthly. Thank you to the 18 contributors that contributed audio this episode. So the next episode is a big one. It is the inaugural SummerSlam. So we will check you then. Later, guys.